0: Good morning, Good morning, Good morning, morning. 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 we go we have a great day, <laughs> Our are together here. Good morning. Good morning. I am Vivian Darks, NWACT New Jersey State Conference Secretary and Health Chair, and I am very excited about being here this morning with this extremely (coughs) knowledgeable panel and all of you who thought, who who saw the importance of being here this morning to have a conversation about a critical issue impacting our community that needs to be addressed. I also want to acknowledge and thank the Southern Burlington County NAACP branch for partnering with us, along with Virtua, for opening their doors today, (laughs) providing this beautiful venue for this very important discussion. It is our hope that when you leave today, you will be armed with more information than when you arrived, and better able to advocate for yourselves and for others. You will note that we have gathered a very diverse panel to address maternal morbidity and mortality, as this is a subject that will require a broad approach from all angles to impact the current statistics across this country, specifically in New Jersey. This will require all of us in this room. Having said that, I do not want to delay the start of what I hope will be a very interactive conversation, and I will pass the mic over to the Southern Burlington County President, Ms. Crystal Charlie.
1: Good morning, everyone. Good morning.
2: Good morning, everyone. Good Good morning. morning. All right. That's how I like to start. today. I don't drink coffee, so I need you guys to yell at me. Um, So thank you for attending State of the Black Mother, giving birth to change, the cause, prevention, and legislation regarding Black maternal mortality in New Jersey. I would especially like to thank our New Jersey State Conference NAACP Secretary and Health Chair Vivian Darts, and her committee for partnering with our branch, Southern Burlington County Win uh, Committee, to begin um, a very important dialogue that certainly will not end today. I must also thank Pam Gallus, AVP Patient Care Services, Maternal Child Health of Virtual Health Systems, for being so instrumental in, partner, in the partnership between Virtual and our organization. We thank you for making the provisions to have us here today at your beautiful facility and working with us as we secured panelists and your demonstrated vested in today's topic. We certainly look forward to working together again in the near future. I would like to thank our dynamic panelists who are with us today, none of whom thought it robbery to be with us on today. Our panelists represent the very best at what they do. They are well-credentialed and compassionate professionals and champions in the areas for which they represent. I'd like to thank Citizens Media for live-streaming this event to get the word out for those who could not physically attend with us today. I'd like to give a shout-out to the Southern Burlington County NAACP officers, members who are with us today, and thank you to our Communications Chair, Marcus Assembly, for getting the word out about today's event. Any members of the NAACP who are with us, uh, who are not members of our branch, but represent various branches across the state, we appreciate you being here. Our state membership chair, Rosalind Wright, in the back, thank you for coming out and helping us out today. And to our guests in the room, we thank you. I hope that you will leave here having learned something new and fired up, ready to do something about it. The total amount spent on healthcare in the USA is greater than in any other country in the world. Hospitalization related to pregnancy and childbirth is the highest hospitalization cost of any area of medicine. Despite this, women in the USA have a greater lifetime risk of dying of pregnancy-related complications than women in 40 other countries. According to Amnesty International, The likelihood of a woman dying in childbirth in the USA is five times greater than in Greece, four times greater than in Germany, and three times greater than in Spain. African-American women are especially at high risk. They are nearly four times more likely to die of pregnancy-related complications than white women. In high-risk pregnancy, the disparities are even greater, with African-American women being more likely, 5.6 times more likely than to die than white women. New Jersey ranks 47th among the states in maternal mortality, with a rate of 37.3 deaths per 100,000 live births. Women of color account for nearly 60% of all pregnancy related maternal deaths in the state. African American women are over four times more likely to lose their lives than their counterparts. In New Jersey, the preterm birth rate among black women is 47% higher than the rate among all other women. This disparity must be reconciled. We are in critical condition. The US government has a responsibility to ensure equal access to quality health care services for all without discrimination. However, gender, race, ethnicity, immigration status, indigenous status or income level affect a woman's access to health care and the quality of the health care she receives. The intersection of multiple forms of discrimination can further adversely a woman's access to quality and adequate health care service in the United States. These disparities in access to maternal health care violate women's right to non-discrimination. According to the report, from nine maternal mortality reviews committees, which provides an evidence-based analysis of why preventable maternal deaths continue to take place in the U.S., an estimated 63% of pregnancy-related deaths in the U.S. were preventable. This is not only a public health issue. Moreover, preventable maternal mortality is a human rights issue. In closing, I would like to leave you with two quotes, and then I will turn the microphone over to Christine Ball, who will give our message from our county freeholder, Felicia Hobson, who was not unable to be with us today. "Mothers, the newborn and children represent the well-being of a society and its potential for the future. Their health needs cannot be left unmet without harming the whole of society." Lee Jong-wu former Director General of World Health Organization. The other quote, of all forms of inequality, injustice in healthcare is the most shocking and inhumane. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Let's make today transformative. Let us all leave here better informed and empowered to all be activists fighting for a better tomorrow. Our lives depend on it. Thank you.
3: Good morning, I'm Christine Baum, I'm the Chair of the Women's Council here in Burlington County and Felicia, our Freeholder Felicia Hobson has asked me to deliver her dress. There's a paragraph in here that um, Charlie has already hit on but I'm going to go over it one more time because I think the numbers are a little staggering and I need your brain to really wrap around those. So her statement says this, Hello and thank you all for being here for this very important event today. On behalf of the Freeholder Board and the Burlington County Women's Advisory Council, I extend my thanks to the South Jersey NAACP for organizing today's event. I would also like to recognize one of the Women Council's 2019 Outstanding Women Award winner, Crystal Charlie, for all of the community and advocacy work she does for women here in Burlington County. This is the part that is repeated, but it is worth repeating. New Jersey currently ranks 47th in mater- maternal maternity. We have 56 for 47 with a rate of 37.3 deaths per 100,000 live births Women of color account for nearly 60% of all pregnancy-related maternal deaths in the state. African American women are over four times more likely to lose their lives during childbirth. In New Jersey, the preterm birth rate among African American rate is 47% higher than the rate among all other women. These are alarming figures. In Burlington County, we are working to educate mothers through our Women, Infant, and Children program. This program provides nutritional counseling and supplemental foods to pregnant, postpartum, and nursing women and their children through age 5. A lactation consultant is also available for breastfeeding support and information. These services are available at the Burlington County Health Department in West Hampton, and we encourage you to reach out for additional information. On behalf of the Burlington County Board of Chosen Freeholders and the thousands of mothers in Burlington County, I sincerely thank all of you who are here today to spread awareness of this important issue. If we work together as a community, we can ensure both mother and infant will not only survive, but thrive. Thank you.
0: Now it's my pleasure to introduce our moderator and my friend, Dr. Judy Banks, who is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She is currently the Associate Residency Program Director for the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Women's Health at Atlantic Health System, Morristown Medical Center. Dr. Banks is privileged to be tasked with helping to prepare the next generation of women's reproductive health specialists. Dr. Banks received her undergraduate degree from the College of St. Elizabeth. She is a graduate of Meharry Medical School and completed her specialty training at New Jersey College of Medicine and Dentistry. Dr. Banks, in addition to the professional obligations, has interest in global health and has worked with projects in Haiti for over 20 years. The recipient of many professional and community service awards, Dr. Baggs is a life member of the NAACP and currently the Health Chair of the Morris County, New Jersey unit. Dr. Baggs. Thank you,
4: Vivian. So I'm very excited and very happy to be here today. It's my privilege to be the moderator for this event. Um, I I just want to go over what the NAACP um, states in its mission statement. The uh, mission of the NAACP is to ensure equal political, educational, social, and economic rights for all persons and to eliminate race-based discrimination. This mission includes a focus on the right of African American and other people of color to have optimal health outcomes and to access timely, quality, affordable health care. Um, uh, African Americans continue to have the highest incidence, preference, and mortality rates from chronic diseases such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and obesity. And issues like HIV, AIDS continue to overwhelm the black community more so than any other racial or ethnic group. The NACP is committed to eliminating the racial and ethnic (coughs) inequalities that exist within our healthcare system, that undermine communities of color, <coughs> their life opportunities, and their abilities to contribute fully to the common good. And the reason I decided to, um, you know, to read that is. Uh, uh, As it explains, you know, one of the the reasons for you know this forum today and why it's so appropriate for organizations like the NAACP to bring people together to talk about these problems in our community. (coughs) Um, I think that we are, uh, you know, uh, uh, I I shouldn't say uniquely suited, but we are certainly suited um, to uh, help be part of the solution and to disseminate uh, information within the community. Um, the, uh, the organization is the uh, oldest civil rights organization uh, in the country, and it's trusted in the African American community. And um, we think that uh, um, we can, as I said, partner with other organizations, other healthcare systems, other people who are stakeholders in the solutions to this problem, and to really reach out to do something that will help when we come back to so look, look at the drop in statistics of maternal term mortality. Um, I've been privileged to be an obstetrician for over 30 years. It's one of the great joys of my life to deliver babies. And I want young African-American women and any woman from any demographic to be able to approach their pregnancy and maternity with joy, happiness, and anticipation. We do not want people to say, I want to get pregnant because I'm afraid I might die. So we really need to address these issues on many levels for many reasons. So um, as I said, it's, it's a pleasure, and a privilege to be here today. Um, I'm going to step out here a little bit. I wanted who's in the audience because I think that will help us on it the panel. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And that sure. will help you know how to address the questions that you have, what you want to hear. So maybe we could just uh, kind of go across real quickly, and uh, you know people could just say um, their name would it represent, and uh, you know, if um, anybody has an urgent matter that they feel that they would like to, uh, you know, put out there, that they'd like to hear the uh, panel. Um, address. So can we start? I guess let's start in the back. Okay. Okay. All right. Hi. All right. Next. Okay. All right. So are you just, what you're from the community? Can you just, didn't necessarily have to give you name, but can you just, you know, i you just tell us, you know, why you're, you know, what you're here today, so you're here with your, you know, your family. Just want to get information. What made you come out today? here with
5: my family, my husband and my two daughters. Um, I know my husband wanted to support one of his high school friends he's working with the NAACP so we wanted to come out and get some information. My name is Cyrus Fowler and I'm the Southern and I'm mm-hmm. the political mm-hmm. chair of the Southern Berkeley County chapter of the NAACP Tell so I'm mm-hmm. here to get more information and support this event.
4: Mm-hmm. My name is Jacima Haver and I'm also a member of the um, NAACP Camden County East chapter and I'm here more information. Virtually. Okay, so we, I think we're uh, uh, okay so the next round I'm Dr. Olga Jackson i obstetrician here at Virtual Memorial Hospital and who support uh
5: causes dearly uh, Tara Henderson,
0: Director of <coughs> Operations for Women's at Virtua, and I'm just glad that we are actually having this conversation. So, this is just. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is Smith, Virtua. Here's Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Kia I'm a student from the University of Michigan. Uh, this is just a topic tonight on this Space class, so we
6: just
7: want to work. My name is Salma
4: Bayer, and I'm just here to get more information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <coughs> uh, did you go across? Or Mr. Rowe? I'll be in this round. Okay, correct. I'm a
5: doula in South Jersey.
4: <laughs> I'm part of the Supervisor Team of Collegals in South Jersey. Thank I'm a great of support. Okay, all right.
5: Uh-huh. I'm Courtney Day, and he a community member.
4: Interested in that yeah, don't say Jess. <laughs> <not say yes. laughs> My name is
5: Jen Eidler. I'm a labor and delivery nurse at Virtua, and I
4: think it's important that we start the conversation.
7: Oh, fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm Mara Collins-Brew. I'm the healthcare program director at New Jersey Citizen Action and came to learn more. This is an issue we're very interested in and working on.
2: Tammy Backe, I'm the healthcare director of a grassroots group, largest one in New Jersey, Action Together uh um, action together in New Jersey. Here for support, building coal if you know holding get a coalitions with anyone. My name is Gina
8: Sullivan. I'm an aide for Settlement Conaway who represents this district. Uh, this is a topic
7: that uh, we frequently discuss in the office on patient. Chris <laughs> Peace, labor and delivery and virtual board he's just wanted
9: more information on mm-hmm. this topic. I'm
10: Fernando
11: Woodley. I'm the nurse director of Titus and Heat at Virgin Forge. I came to have more information. Shayla Vivens here with the the Center. My name is Gwen Edwards. I'm a retired nurse from Grand Focus, which is now of Burlington County. And the numbers were bad when I was working. And when I read recently that the numbers were worse, And then saw this program coming on. I just said, hey, I've got to go. So uh, I'm here prayerfully. We will get these numbers normal. And uh, thank you. My name is Kate
5: McLaughlin. I'm a critical care nurse. I also represent 4,000 nurses in New Jersey as the founder of New Jersey Safe Ratios, which is looking to reduce overall mortality in New Jersey. We were absolutely disgusted by the numbers, but we've been doing a lot of surveying amongst our l nurses to look at what some of the root causes are, and we're out to educate our nurses at the bedside in regards to what we can all be doing. There is a significant lack of education when we surveyed our nurses, including myself, as a critical care nurse, working in a level one trauma center, a medical ICU, and having never received actual Actual training that I was supposed to get as a nurse um, had to take care of moms who are experiencing complications. So I became an advocate and started an organization two years ago, and we are fighting to protect all patients, but especially moms, because so many of these nurses are, uh, are women. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my name is Joyce Winston. I'm
0: a dual uh, certified nurse and herbalist, and I just came to gather information.
12: Hi, my name is Amanda Mazina Forrester. I'm the Executive Director for the Office of Minority and Multicultural Health at the Department
13: of Health, and I'm very excited to be Hi, I'm Susan Korngut, and I currently sit on City Council in Northfield, which is in Atlanta County, and I'm running for Atlanta County Executive, and uh, so I'm learning about um, the issues uh, this is my top priority because Atlantic City has a significant problem and is one of the worst cities uh, in our state so I'm here to gather information so that I can hit the ground running when I win in November All right. All right.
5: I'm Eva Smith I'm here to help Susan win in November
4: <laughs> Well, we have a fantastic uh, group, and I understand that uh, this is also uh, uh, being live streamed. So, we have uh, people maybe at home who are just interested in the subject, who or may not be uh, as involved in health care as we see the majority of people in this room are. And it is a pleasure. I'm sorry, there I want to take a different hat.
2: So, I'm here because I received really top of the line care during my difficult pregnancy. And I don't want to, to not to miss the moment of saying thank you to Dr. Shailen Shah because he made sure that this little one was here um, despite having preeclampsia and having a very very difficult time. So I already gave my speech as the president, but this became near and dear my heart as a patient advocate. And I just wanted to make sure I had an opportunity to thank Dr. Shah.
4: I'm just really excited about your comments. You must be a mind reader, because one of the things that I had wanted to do today was pick two people out of the audience and say, who had a good verse story? Okay. No. Because we want to start and we want to end on that. So you told us one, so somebody else is to say their good verse story until the end of the uh, <laughs> 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 So uh, I'm going to uh, introduce the uh, members of, of the, um, the panel. And um, i believe down at the end. So we have Roshana Dickerson. Rasha. I'm sorry, that's, that's fine. I'm just going to it down so I won't get it wrong. is a national Organizes for a Journal, uh, Journey for Justice Alliance, a national alliance of grassroots community youth and parent organizations in about 25 cities. Um, uh, she uh, understands that education is a human right. She organizes for community driven alternatives. She is the co founder of the Camden uh, Parents uh, Union and Organization in Camden, New Jersey, of parents, alumni, and uh, business and community leaders who advocate for proper funding and equal resources. She's also the lead organizing parent of the Camden Students Union, working to save public schools. Um, she is a labor, uh, as a, a, a a labor coach and a birthing doula who serves women and families and having great experiences from prenatal health and, um, and so the whole spectrum of from this here and um, so uh, we're very excited that we have uh, someone uh, who is a doula who can speak to that of the role and the importance of doulas uh, in the uh, birth process. Next to um, Rancha is uh, Dr. Shalyn Shaw, who's been given a great shout out by uh, <laughs> Professor. Yes. So, um, Dr. Uh, Shaw uh, has a very uh, impressive set of uh, credentials. Um, uh, he is on the uh, faculty of uh, Thomas uh, Jefferson um, uh, University of the Medical School of city Syndicate. Medical school here. Um, he is the associate director, I believe, for the residency program also at Jefferson. Ustery. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. And so he's at Fetal Maternal Medicine uh, as a uh, specialist. He has done extensive research. So we're very excited to hear what he has to say and the information that he has to give out to us today. Uh, next to him, we have uh, Dr. Kim um, Bridges-White, who um, is an obstetrician she's a board-certified obstetrician gynecologist, who I believe is in clinical practice in this uh, in this area, and uh, she again has a very impressive set of uh, credentials, and um, so uh, she's got some information too that's gonna, you know, uh, gonna be very helpful for us today. Uh, next to her is, I'm oh, sorry, here we go. Sorry. Is our <laughs> Assistant Commissioner of Family Health Services from the New Jersey uh, Department of Health. Uh, uh, Lisa uh, Asari, is that Asari. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, Ms. Asari was appointed Assistant Commissioner of the Division of uh, Family Health and Services in New Jersey's Department of Health in 2016. Um, She has worked in the Department of Health for 20 years in several different uh, offices, including Health Statistics, Office of Minority Cultural Health, and Office of the Deputy uh, Commissioner. I'm not going to read through everything that uh, she has done, but <laughs> I said that uh, um, this must be a very challenging season in which to be a leader uh, within a government circles. so we know that if uh, you were chosen that you were able to tap. so we're happy to have you here today. And um, we have Assembly, uh, assemblywoman Siobhan B. E. Sumter. Um, uh, Sumter was elected to the New Jersey General Assembly in 2011, and she represents the 35th legislative district. Um, she has been extremely um, active, and I believe that you are the majority conference later. leader. And um, she. Has been uh, very active in proposing legislation that uh, currently has been enacted by the governor, which she's going to speak to us about. And but uh, she has a long history of being an advocate for mothers and children, as you can see in the summary of the le- legislative initiatives that she has led. So we're going to start out, and we we'll start out with Dr. Shah. Oh, I'm sorry, there's <laughs> a video. Okay, <World> <laughs>
10: Can you all
12: see?
14: you mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Technical difficulty. <laughs> okay. one minute. So, when I'm preparing the, um, the video, I think that uh, one thing that I think probably struck all of us, okay, is that. Uh, these statistics have been collected. And they, you know, it's only been known to people in health care and into uh, in public policy for a long time regarding uh, maternal mortality and the disparities. But these, when the press picked this up, okay, in 2017, 2018, there were several major uh, 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 exposés and uh, articles. that are written in New York Times, USA. Today, that was picked up by all the uh, the major um, uh, you know uh, news and cable uh, outlets. Uh, everybody, I'm sure, has uh, you know, has seen those. And uh, this is a, a visual uh, uh, you know, presentation about one of the stories that uh, was very much in the press. There we go.
9: I hope you never have to read this letter. I cannot imagine you having to go through this yet again. And if you are, I am so truly sorry, Mommy. I hope you know how much I love you and how much you mean to me. I am sorry that I have left you. On the particular day that I am writing this, I have no idea how that may have occurred, but know that I would never choose to leave you. You will forever be my mommy, and I your baby girl. was my only daughter. She was loving, she was kind, she was generous. She was just always a curious child and loved to learn. She graduated from high school after skipping two grades. She went on to get her bachelor's at Hampton University. From there, she got a master's of science, and then was accepted into a PhD program at Purdue University. She graduated with a dual PhD in both sociology and in gerontology, and she was the first student to do that at Purdue University. Both degrees were summa cum laude at all by the age of 25. She went on to public health because she watched her brother, who was battling MS, so she decided she'd go and get a master's in public health from Johns Hopkins, and then went on to become a well-respected epidemiologist at the Center for Disease Control. Unfortunately, her brother passed away but she still devoted the work that she did at the CDC to her brother. Shalon was a very adventurous spirit and we had traveled to over 20 countries in the last five years. She just loved life. When Shalon found out that she was pregnant, she was just overjoyed. She had wanted to be a mother for so long. She went to every single OB appointment. She did everything our obstetrician required of her. She had had um, fibroids removed probably a year before the pregnancy, and then she found out at the time that she had factor five lighten. So she also had to take two painful shots every day to keep from clotting while she was carrying her baby. Well, based on her history, her medical team thought it was best that she had a planned C-section. She was prepared, she was ready, and she couldn't wait to meet the tiny human that she'd been sharing space with for 37 weeks. Shalon had tears in her eyes. She was so, so excited to see her daughter, and Shallan just helped her. Within four or five days after getting home, she developed a lump on her side. She started having other symptoms as well, headaches. She wasn't voiding as she should have been. Her legs started to swell. She started to gain weight. She had headaches. And every time we'd go in to see a doctor, she was just dismissed with, you just had a baby, give it time. It'll get better. And she says, Mom, I I don't feel right. There's something wrong. And I was just so concerned, but I I didn't know what to do. During the last week of her life, Shalon went to the doctor three times for the same symptoms. On that last visit, she presented with blood pressure of 174 over 120. Well, let me give you some blood pressure medicine and you go home and come back in a couple of days if it hasn't gotten better but don't worry, it should be fine, just give it a little more time. Well, After we left the doctor's office, we went home and picked up her prescription and we came home. And so we were sitting there um, talking a little bit more and all of a sudden um, she started to have this gargled sound that came out of her mouth and her, her arms shot up and she passed out. And I called 911. Probably five or six minutes later, the ambulance was there. When I got to the hospital, um, the emergency doctor told me that she was in pretty bad shape. I found out a couple of days later that she was brain dead because of the lack of oxygen. My cousin brought in a medical directive that I didn't even know Shalon had, and it said, Mommy, I will fight hard, but if there is no hope, please let me go." And the next night, I happened to notice just one tear. It seemed like that came out of one eye. And I knew then what I had to do. We had her taken off my support. At 9.14, she was gone. I lost my vibrant, beautiful, intelligent best friend and daughter because she wasn't hurt. I knew Shalon was a high-risk pregnancy because of her age, but I never for a moment thought that she was at risk of dying because she was a black woman.
4: So, so, this is very heartbreaking, um, you know, a testimony to what happened, you know, to her daughter. And so if we come back to that, uh, this is one of some of the things that it brings out. At another point, but we're going to start our um, discussion today, start our panel with Dr. Sharon Shaw, who is our fetal um, maternal medicine uh, or she's our maternal <laughs> fetal medicine specialist. And uh, if you could just uh, give us an overview from uh, his, his standpoint as a specialist of the problem of severe maternal morbidity, mortality, and of racial disparity.
15: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. I want to thank the organizers to allow me to be part of this panel. And Crystal, thank you for your kind words. That meant a lot to me. This is why we do what we do in the first place. But everybody understands that earlier this year, Boeing had two seven three seven 737 MAX 8 crash. And it was after that that the government took action and Boeing took action. Uh, We have that equivalent, if not more, of two bigger planes of moms who die every year as a result of pregnancy or childbirth. And when you put it in that context, it's really upsetting and it's unacceptable. Uh, I know that we will not get to zero mortality, but that should be our goal. Because that story, if it doesn't bring a little tear to your your face, uh, you you haven't been paying attention. Uh, A mother lost her daughter, but a child lost her mother. It's a huge impact. And what's upsetting is, in the United States, it's not a lack of resources. We have resources. We have to figure out how to better deploy those resources to uh, cure and prevent and anticipate both morbidity and mortality in the pregnant mom. You know, it's upsetting that at a time when globally, and this is a good thing, globally mortality rates are decreasing. But at a time when globally mortality rates are decreasing, the United States is experiencing a slight increase. Now the reasons are complex and not easily answerable, but we have some tools already uh, that we can do that with. So it's forums like these, is thinking like this, that's going to move the bar on maternal mortality. In this case alone, early recognition. Uh, we have such a, at a time when when my children see me try to text with my thumbs, mm-hmm. they get upset because they feel that it's taking forever. When you can dictate to your phone and the text goes out, who would have imagined I grew up in the time of Ataris, and and (laughs) anybody remember that? Yes, yes, yes. and now my uh, cell phone has more computer power than that. At a time when we have, we're one of the richest countries in, we're blessed to be one of the richest countries in the world, and we have incredible technology. We have to figure out how we empower our patients, our community, how we empower their care providers, uh, and through legislation, insurance, etc., how we can reduce this. So uh, I couldn't have said it better. Than all the statistics that were introduced, but it, it's upsetting. Could,
4: could you tell us, you know, specifically um, uh, uh, what did, what diseases, what are people dying of? Why are they dying?
15: Well, um, traditionally, and this still plays a role, hemorrhage, bleeding, uh, is a big cause hypertensive disorders, uh, which you heard on this film. Ironically, uh, I do have to leave early today because I'm speaking on acute hypertension in pregnancy this afternoon. And I'm glad that I'm speaking on that. And I'm going to keep the story in my mind as I try to convey the messages that I do. Thromboembolism, clots. Um, But in the United States, because we've done such a good job with... uh, Cardiovascular disease, especially uh, young uh, girls that are born with heart conditions that are now, through surgery and medicine, able to survive and be healthy, they're now getting pregnant <laughs> themselves. And so we have those challenges. So heart disease is really rising as an increasing cause of mortality and morbidity. And we're primarily focused on mortality, appropriately so, but for every uh, death, there was near misses, and we need to keep focused on near misses also because if we stay focused on near misses, that's how we're going to prevent death.
4: So, the um, we have a lot of healthcare, you know, providers, uh, you know, in the audience. I should ask you, um, what are you seeing some things now that your institutions, uh, doctor, had mentioned uh, that uh, quotes the death? The one that he singled out was hypertension. So, what is happening? What, what uh, are some of the things that uh, maybe people are not aware of that are happening in the management of uh, 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 hypertension and viewing of the pregnant woman in hypertension? Um, anybody uh, want to, uh, to speak to that?
5: I, like I said, I've worked um, uh, two large level one trauma centers in New Jersey. There's only a few, so I'm gonna narrow at least two of them. I also worked in emergency room for years up in New York, for a very long time, Camden, New Brunswick, so it kind of give you an idea of the type of facilities I've worked in, well established. There's a, like I said, there's a lack of education with the nurses, but also oftentimes with the providers and the residents. <coughs> Care transport, so I did travel around the hospitals throughout New Jersey, taking oftentimes moms from small community hospitals to other facilities. And there are times where there's still a lack of recognition in smaller community hospitals, but when there's some, a patient with preeclampsia, whether it's not, if they're not being managed. And that's where we need to focus and, and really drill down on too. On the provider aspect is getting that education. Because like I said, when emergency room nurses, and I have friends who are educators in northern New Jersey and Patterson who have told me, I have bought up an education packet to administration and they said no because we don't see enough. If 43% of the deaths are happening in New Jersey after the 43rd week postpartum, clearly there is something that we need to do. The person who spends the most time at the bedside is the nurse. So while, and thank you, Assemblywoman, for helping to get so much great legislation passed, but if we're not taking some of those funds for education in those hospitals at that bedside, that we're not going to stop another death of Akira. We're not going to stop another death of a Warren Blumstein um, uh, because those are the ones that are being missed. And the people that are at the bedside of the nurses. The nurses must be educated, but we have to be empowered to be listened to. I have fought to and now. I have reported a hospital. We have to do better.
4: We do have to do better, but there are a lot of things that are in motion, okay? People want to have this solved across the board. People do not want, <laughs> nothing is more devastating in the life of the community than the loss of a young woman. And so, uh, Obstetrician and gynecologists there um, you know, our large governing bodies, there are, are things that have been, actually have been not acknowledged to us for long periods of time. And uh, I know the you know our panelists. I don't want to uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the Dr. could, you, could yeah. you speak to some of the? Uh, the, the yeah, new I'm things? one of the op- oh. um,
16: My name is uh, Kim White. I'm one of the obstetricians at uh, Virtual Voorhees, and um, I can tell you some of the great protocols that got introduced are really the hypertensive protocols, um, and the last I went to a. Um, a conference just recently in February, um, and it seems that not across the board, a lot of hospitals don't even have that policy instituted, so I commend virtually. They put that policy out. It's been out for a few years now, and that does help decrease some of the near misses. The nurses are educated on every floor about hypertension. So they have algorithms that are uh, laminated from triage all the way up to postpartum. There's certain documentations that have um, that have to be addressed, bedside visits that have to be performed, um, medications that should be initiated. Um, you know, another one that they've uh, initiated, they're starting to initiate now, is a postpartum sepsis score as well. And certain things have to be done depending on what lactate levels are. And and that's very new as well. I learned that at the conference. That's in a lot of other majority of uh, your high-risk hospital, hospitals as well. And I think that also helps um, avoiding the near miss. Um, and just to address you know, to talk about uh, maternal mortality in general versus maternal mortality in the in the black mother um, I just think it's interesting that um, you know, there are some studies that were performed that It doesn't even matter what the socioeconomic background of the black mother is. So you have to dive a little bit deeper as to why that is. Because if we're taking out socioeconomic status, then what is it? You know, why is my complaint a little bit different than uh, someone who is in the same exact situation who is not black next to me. Why aren't my um, issues being addressed? I think when you start having protocols as such, the protocols do not discriminate um, where you are, what week you are, what your ethnicity is, um, and that's helpful if you're following guidelines. The key piece to that is also you have to have accountability for those guidelines that are instituted. You can have a guideline but if your staff, your residents, your physicians, everyone up is not being held accountable for those guidelines and they're not reviewed, they don't really mean anything. So um, that, that's where you want to go. I, I appreciate your comment because this happens in every institution that I've ever trained and currently work. You're correct. There is a disconnect, I think, with most staff members, not just the ICU, the emergency room, but in all specialties. It used to be that I joked about this. Everyone that comes through residency that does a rotation in obstetrics and gynecology that's not interested in it, take vacation. They're not doing that. And I've often made statements, whether right or wrong, that I often find that sometimes pregnant women are actually discriminated against. It's part of your job in any field to know that. I wasn't interested in neurology at all. However, I recognize my pregnant patients may have neurological issues. So I have to pay attention during that rotation. And that should account for everyone in the medical field. You cannot be in an emergency room and not know that 140 over 90 may mean something to a pregnant woman, but maybe something different to the male who has 140 over 90. You're not in an emergency room, you're not. So a lot of the protocols that need to be initiated or instituted in most of our facilities, you, the hospitals and the healthcare system has to start bringing these protocols to the emergency room. Because there will be times that you will have eclampsia and a stroke. You may have chest pain and tachycardia. I've been called. And I'm like, she is preeclampsia. Please bring her over now. <laughs> no Adivan, you know, not for her nerves. She's not anxious. Mm-hmm. And, and there are just so many different levels. It is a complex situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm just very thankful that it just got addressed, you know, and recognized, and that everyone's willing to try to, to take a stab at how do we get, you know, these things um, rectified. Um, Because I agree with you, to bring it back back to normal, no, overshoot, zero, and then maybe we get it even less than normal. Um, So, um, But there are some of the things I'd like to see just across the disciplines. I don't think the cardiologist should be different for the pregnant versus the non-pregnant. And then how do I know which hospital I'm going to that knows that? It should not be that way in New Jersey or any state.
4: Um, can, can, can I just just uh, you know just mm-hmm. one thing um, because it's just a, a piece of information I just like to throw out there. So I think for the Alliance for uh, Innovation, uh, uh, you know, medical care that they've had bundles out, which actually came out you know in uh, around 2000, and they along with the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, that they are addressing the issues of, uh, of hypertension, how to uh, evaluate the patient. I'm sure that most uh, many of you are aware of the MUSE protocols. Okay. Um, the early uh, you know warning systems okay that are out these um, these tools are out there and there are many places where they are being uh, you know implemented and they certainly were being looked at and I know uh, from uh, the standpoint I'm sure probably from uh, you know a state uh, um, governmental agencies they are more than aware involved in asking for the implementation of these pre uh, 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 of these policies and procedures that are well known in the community, so I, I think uh, maybe perhaps uh, 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 um, uh, Lisa, could could you just uh, you know speak to that because I know that you know same thing in terms of we say um, uh, you know um, uh, people of color and how do we could you speak a little bit about the you know, quality initiatives and. Uh, um, uh, 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 you know, assessment of uh, uh, to get to you know to, to equity, because I know these are, uh, are things that uh, would be of interest, and they directly address it. And this is going on uh, at, in hospitals. I I absolutely
17: can. So thank you for having me, you know, and thank you everybody for taking time out on a beautiful Saturday um, to come and speak about this issue. I am local. I live in this area. So it was easier for me to get here than to get to Trenton. So I was happy to be here. Um, But I'm a mother. You know, I'm an assistant commissioner um, from 9 to 5 in the city of Trenton in the Department of Health. But any time beyond that, I am just a mother of uh, three beautiful kids, uh, 23, 19, and 10. God gave me a bonus and said you know, I have something for you. And I had them all in New Jersey. And I, like you, had very uh, positive uh, birth experiences. I have to tell you this, even being in this field, I did not know I was at risk. I did not know that there was any other option than coming home with your baby and being sleep deprived. I knew that, you know, that's just what would happen. And all of my attention and all of my focus was on my children, it was never on me. Um, and I had, I say, I had a doula who happens to be my mother. You know, she sort of jumped in that role. And she was very, very focused on me and kept saying that this baby is fine, it's you I'm worried about. And I thought, you know, let's focus on this baby. I'm fine, I'm fine. I say that to you because I come originally from West Africa. And her history had shown her that women don't always survive. Babies sometimes don't survive. And so she sort of had that mindset. And even though we're in America, a very industrialized place, she sort of said, no, I'm taking care of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now, sort of looking back, I say, I get it. She knew something that I didn't know at the time and something that, unfortunately, we're all here talking about today. But I, as I mentioned to you, have my own three kids. And two of them are girls, 23 and 10. So now, as a mother, I'm still concerned about my baby, mm-hmm. but now thinking about my babies in a different way and understanding that my grandkids I'll be concerned about, but I'm really concerned about my daughters as well, and all of our daughters. I mean, this is just completely unacceptable. We have to put a full stop to this, as as Doctor said. One is too many. One is simply too many. So. Uh, Saying that about myself and sort of about what I think about this, we are doing things. We are being very proactive. We actually in New Jersey have had one of the longest standing maternal mortality review committees. And what is that? That is a group of people that meets every quarter to review the maternal associated deaths and the pregnancy related deaths, something that we would hope we wouldn't have to do. And what they do is basically open up files look at medical records and really come up with root causes. Did this woman die because she was in a car accident and it was not related to her pregnancy at all? Or was it something that was a complication that didn't have to be? And so they spend a lot of time doing that. We are sort of looked at as a leader in New Jersey in doing that work. But the point is to move from data to action. You know, the data is all there. We sort of unfortunately see what it is, but what are we doing about it? And so I believe the, the moderator was asking, what are we doing about it? A lot of things, I think, from the clinical perspective as well as from the patient advocacy and community perspective. It's a phenomenal time to be in New Jersey because I say the eyes of the nation are looking at us. Nowhere in this country is any state looking at this issue the way that we are. We have premier clinicians here in New Jersey who are engaged and willing to make a difference. We have our legislative partners who are pushing the agenda forward at all costs. And then those of us in the state are just redirecting our priorities and initiatives to make sure that indeed we are successful. I sort of mentioned to you I have three kids, the middle one is a boy. He's 19, he's a freshman in college, he's a track star. Or he thinks he's a track star. (laughs) (laughs) But he does, and I just say this analogy say he does triple jump and he's a jumper. I was at one of his meets a couple weeks ago and he did well and placed, he medaled, he got, I think, second place. But I say to him, the wind was behind you, right? What is wind? Wind is something that sort of propelled him forward. I feel in many ways the wind is behind us in New Jersey because we have a governor and a first lady who've taken this on as a personal mission. I I was with um, Assemblywoman Sumter two weeks back when the governor actually signed into legislation for maternal health bills. We are making history in New Jersey, really making history. In terms of the clinical activities, we have something called the Perinatal Quality Collaborative that comes out of the New Jersey Hospital Association that has many of the AIM bundles. We are focused on hemorrhaging. We're focused on sort of the postpartum period and unnecessary C-sections. We talk a lot about the maternal mortality, but the morbidity is really alarming. What are those near misses? Who's having C-sections that don't need to have C-sections? Unfortunately, really, women that look like me are having them at a disproportionate rate. So we are working hand in glove with the hospital association and all of the hospitals to sign on to these bundles to just what you said, standardize sort of our protocols and practices and using all of the levers that we have in the New Jersey Department of Health. What we're doing on the community side I think is really important because what I spend my time doing is working on an initiative called Healthy Women, Healthy Families where we really work on things that support women in their sort of day-to-day lives things like having a doula. We have one of our best doulas here on the panel with us, uh, Roncha Dickerson. <laughs> oh, <that's so> <laughs> we um, do things like group prenatal care, but really what are those things that equip women to get to your facilities and demand the care that they need? As you said, it's not about socioeconomic status. Vena Williams could buy us all, sell us, and buy us back, and she was not even listened to. So it tells you that it's not you know, just about folks who may not have the means or may not have the education. There's some implicit bias that goes on where you walk in and people look at you and they sort of decide how they're going to interact with you and unfortunately sometimes there's negative um, consequences. So I have a whole lot to say but I'll say that we are really committed to this work. Um, We have 4.7 million dollars that we have committed as a state to address these issues statewide working in high-need areas. There's a lot of work to do, but we are making progress today. So I think it's, it's my privilege to sit on this panel with such a diverse group of folks who will kind of all bring their perspectives, but I will speak some more. But we are doing uh, the work around the clinical bundles with the um, Perinatal Quality Collaborative. And one of the bills that the um, governor also signed established a maternal quality care collaborative, MQCC but this is similar to the work that was done in California uh, that was able to reduce their C-sections, and it really talks about establishing a data center where we'll really move from data to action. We are as good as the data that we have, and without it, we really can't do any baseline work or really uh, measure the impacts of many of the initiatives we'll talk about today.
4: Yeah, thank you it's uh, an ex- extremely helpful and, just, and um, I know from reading uh, that the state is extremely uh, uh, you know proactive from the public health standpoint in addressing these uh, you know issues and um, uh, assemblywoman uh, Assange, assembly, because I know that you have another engagement, could you, could you please tell us um, you know, about the uh, legislation that was recently uh, signed in by um, uh, the governor and uh, your part, because I understand that you were primary sponsors of these
10: uh, of bills so Great. could you speak to that? Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you all for taking this topic on. Um, as a uh, legislator, what we want to do is make laws that uh, make sense to the 9 million people in the state of New Jersey. We want to deploy our financial resources from a 37-39 billion dollar budget to make sure that we're impacting the quality of life for all of the citizens and future citizens of our state. Um, to the Assistant Commissioner of Health, um, there is a substantial change that happened uh, in the state of New Jersey when Governor Phil Murphy was elected. Uh, we actually ended up with a um, Commissioners who cared. Commissioner uh, Elna Hall was not afraid to call out racism in the healthcare system. We danced around it, which we danced around it for about an hour and a half. Yeah. If you have not noticed, yes. you finally yes. said implicit okay. bias <laughs> um, shortly. Uh, and for us as healthcare professionals, we <clears throat> like to believe that everyone bleeds the same blood and that we're treating the symptom, we're treating based on these bundles that were mentioned and we're not looking at the person when we need to look at the person and we need to hear what the person is stating to us. Also as a healthcare professional, we like to believe that we're trained in cultural diversity and sensitivity. Now we're in virtual, beautiful facility. You all have to do an annual cultural sensitivity, cultural awareness training, correct? Every person who works in a healthcare system has to do it. Instead of it being a check, right, we really need to make sure that it is threaded, ingrained, and there's a systemic change in our system. I work in behavioral health, so I know all about biases, 20 years in the business, so I'm not scared of that space. But when we're practicing and we talk about emergency room, let's not um, forget that we're on time constraints. They're moving a patient through there's workflows, right They're trying to get the patient out and we're also trying to deal with a very complex patient, not only from a uh, ethnicity standpoint, forget the socioeconomic status as we heard uh, in this video and as we see in this room, uh, but we're also talking about a patient who may have a substance abuse history, who may have mental illness, who may have some other environmental health, uh, issues that the professional has no knowledge of. Mm-hmm. So when we came up with this package of bills, we spent about a year starting with the Legislative Black Caucus, and I need to share that, uh, hearing from women across the state. We did three hearings across the state uh, from every spectrum, healthcare professionals, Public health workers, I'm glad you're here if you're running especially for county office because those precious dollars need to be deployed into a system that will work to impact change. We have to get to zero. It's not an option. If we start out saying we can't get to zero, then we're not gonna get to zero. New Jersey is being watched. The wind is beneath us when you have a governor who's willing to put money into the system. When you have an assistant commissioner out on a Saturday, Mm -hmm. willing to talk about this issue. When you have the NAACP promoting this very complex issue. And for the men who are in the room, when the woman is not being heard, we need you to stand up and say she needs to be heard. So this package of bills we are proud of. Uh, it includes supports for doulas, paid for by Medicaid. Yes. Uh, we also—it's a pot of money that we can control. It's not that we're not looking at the commercial insurances, uh, but it's a pot of money that we have control over that we can put some constraints around. We also looked at protocols because. We realized as we talked throughout the state um, that there were no set protocols that any hospital was using consistently. Every practitioner had his own set of practices that it used and partnered with the hospital association to say, okay, what's best practices? And then we put penalties with the early deliveries. Mm what you usually hear is, my doctor's going to be away on this date. This doctor has been with me through the journey of my pregnancy. I have two children, 19 and 20. Uh, the 20-year-old just graduated college last Saturday. So yeah. real thankful yeah. there. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Cum Laude, I have to add yeah. that as well. She's been in three years. OK, <laughs> all right. So, uh, but uh, we had to put some constraints around saying, OK, it's not safe. You want to plan this delivery, you want an early delivery because you want that practitioner there, but it may not be safe for the mom, so put some penalties around it, so there's no incentive to deliver early. And it's unfortunate that we had to go there, uh, but it's important that we go there. I work in a hospital, our hospital now is tracking the reduction in C-sections, where I've been in the hospital for over 20 years, three different hospitals, and that data I never received as a quality measure to say, okay, how many C-sections have we not delivered? That's a great thing. It's a change in practice for the clinicians in the room, uh, but it will impact the safety and the and the, the health and the wellness of the mom and the baby. Um, we're also working on pilots. We want more doulas. We want training for those doulas. We want doulas who look like the moms uh, that they're serving, who are not afraid to go into the communities. We also realized that transportation was a major issue. I drove two hours to get here. Beautiful facility, right? Was happy when I made it here. But for a mom who is in Trenton, in Trenton you cannot deliver a baby. In the city of Trenton, We did not realize that as legislators. If you want care, you have to drive to the next town. How are you going to get there for your follow-up visits? Right, you're you're shaking your head. Those Those are realities that we did not know existed as a barrier. So how can we make sure that providers are practicing that compensation is there to cover the care that needs to be delivered for all, and we still have a ways to go, Um, and that we are incentivizing our practitioners to work and support uh, these moms who are delivering life. The other piece that we realized, after 60 days, if you have Medicaid, it was stopped Does the healthcare of the baby not exist post 60 days of delivery? Yes, no? (laughs) So we put a 365 day calendar period around making sure mom had benefits to take care of that child post delivery and follow-ups are there. So it's not all of the answers, but I think it's definitely a step in the right direction The other major piece that's internal, operational, that elections have consequences, is we have three divisions that are now working together. Department of Health, Department of Human Services, Department of Children and Family Services. And for those three entities to communicate, to cover the lifespan, prenatal care, to birth, to living past that first year, it's important that it's coordinated because if mom has another child at home, that she has to worry about and then has a newborn and then possibly has to work somewhere in that space as well. All of those services matter and we weren't talking. So breaking up those silos so that we're communicating and that the resources are partnered around the wellness of mom, baby, and family. So with this.
4: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And Dr. Um, uh, Shaw, you know, um, uh, before we get to our, uh, our, our doula, because we wanted um, to uh, really delve into why this was considered as a legislative initiative and has been put in place. Could you just speak to, um, because the one thing that I want to uh, emphasize, OK, just and for patients to, to know, um, can you speak to when, OK, um, in um, pregnancy and the postpartum when do people get sick and die? Because I think that the public there is a misconception, um, you know, they're like, oh, you we know, you had the baby, I took you to, to all your visits. You know, um, I got to go back to my job, and I know you got a headache, or I know you don't feel it. Can, can you speak to the significance of uh, of, of the different times um, during the first year of uh, postpartum? Okay, that uh, that people actually do die, and uh, because that has, has driven also uh, some of these initiatives.
15: Thank you for the question, Judy. Um, You know, I was thinking to my education as you were speaking, and learned a lot about anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, but learned nothing about bias. Now, I trained five million years ago, and I'm hoping that it's different now, but I really think, and I'm going to circle back to your question, but I really think that a mom's health has to do with her provider's health also. And by provider's health, I mean their education. So we all, whether we try to um, lessen them or not, have subconscious biases from our experiences, from our upbringing. And if we don't acknowledge those biases, we're not going to be able to standardize our care across the spectrum. And I believe that training really starts, in my case, in physician's case, in medical school. And I'd like to see, we have an opportunity in Jersey, because Jersey has a medical school, uh, to, if it's not already there, introduce uh, bias awareness and bias training. There are modules out there that are quite effective, quite eye-opening. Having said that, I think once the uh, care provider is able to acknowledge their own biases, really a mom's risk starts pre-pregnancy. You know, I'm amazed at how often I don't see a potentially sick mom until they're pregnant or until they're about due. I have a particular interest in heart disease and pregnancy, for example. In fact, at Virtua, uh, I initiated and we run a multidisciplinary cardiac clinic for pregnant moms and non-pregnant moms. Non-pregnant moms want to be. I'm. Despite that, sometimes I won't be aware of that patient. My team won't be aware of that patient till they're 36 weeks. Really, that patient's care should have started pre-pregnancy, uh, where we could optimize her health, her diabetes, her hypertension, etc. Then it continues throughout pregnancy. It's a bilateral relationship. It's not one way. I'm not sitting there dictating to my patients, it's a conversation they're adults, they're they're, uh, able to make their own decisions but I'm incorporating them and they have to help me take care of them because they have to help me understand their barriers. So often we'll say oh well she's non-compliant, she's not engaged, she's not uh, interested in healthcare and sometimes it's they don't have the uh, means to get to all their prenatal visits. It's not that she's not engaged, she doesn't care. Right. Healthcare. Right. So how do we practice medicine in a way that allows us to individualize that care for those who have less resources, those who have more resources, those who have less education, those who have more education? Um, we see the most morbid and mortality events occur in the 24 hours preceding delivery and in the 24 hours after delivery. But there's plenty of things that happen way into the postpartum period, long after the, uh, what, what did you say the cutoff was for? Uh, the, 60 days. Yes, uh, long after that. And oftentimes, when they leave the hospital, we don't even see them until their postpartum visit, and they're very vulnerable during that time. Think about it, as, as, a, as human beings, what do we do? All the attention is on the pregnant mom, and then it shifts immediately to that baby. And by the way, what happened to that pregnant mom You know, for all those months? So uh, really, the, I would argue that the risk for the mom and the care of the mom began in medical school or whatever school that you attended, and continues pre-pregnancy for that person and post-pregnancy.
4: <coughs> yeah, and, and so I just want to uh, see that emphasized because um, uh, people are vulnerable in the postpartum period. A lot of people are not aware of it. The patient is not aware of it, and uh, uh, nor are their their family members, or possibly as uh, on someone I brought up, ancillary medical personnel that they may come in contact to. Dr. Um, know you're in. Um, uh, you know, uh, 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 clinical practice. Um, can you just uh, uh, just make a, a, a couple of uh, comments, and then we want to get to Ms. perspective as a doula.
16: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything. Just, I was just thinking about my practice in general, and maybe. You know, just looking at some of the data, a lot of the um, deaths occurred even up to 42 days after Mm -hmm. birth, Um, and a lot of the protocols we have now, short of surgery, we'll see the patient back in six weeks, and maybe that should be adjusted. Maybe you should see a patient back in two weeks, you know, and then four weeks after. That might be something to consider. the, the, the other issue um, really is I definitely have already looked into um, doula programming out into all different types of communities and not just for the patient. Because for a lot of um, black families, you're relying on the family. Okay. So I know my mother gave me advice. I was like, you know, thank you um, very much. And called my brother. And I'm like, I'm not even sure why we're alive. <laughs> I'm not even sure. You know, and all I got was Oprah said and whatever they train you new doctors on. And, you know, and I am just like, okay, thank you. And, you know, I'll hear that. Or, you know, um, even... Even with moms with mental health issues, you know, a lot of black families rely on on churches. You know, pray on it. You have to be tougher than that. Have a thicker skin. I can't tell you how many times I've been told that. So there are a lot of, um, I think, educational benefits for doulas, even for not just the patient, but get the surrounding family engaged too and partners. Um, there's a lot of, of good things I think that can come of that. That can keep an eye even on the postpartum phase. If there were some resources for that, you know, even for patients that aren't on Medicaid, any socioeconomic status, you could devise all types of programs. I think that would be helpful. Um, but yeah, I, I hear you with the C-section risk. We definitely join that. Uh, we're still actively engaged in reducing the uh, rate of that. That does help. Um, but you know, as as far as the The causes for the black deaths, the cardiovascular risk, the preeclampsia and the eclampsia, I do. I think there has to be a lot more um, work with recognizing these symptoms, even for the offices that field the phone calls after you deliver. Um, There should be more resources and more um, awareness even for your office staff um, that say, put your feet up for a minute. People always swell a little bit afterwards. That does happen. As far as hospital bias and racism, yes, it exists. I can tell you that. It, it existed with you know, my own experience with sending my husband and my son to the hospital. It happens. Um, and I agree that um, um, there has to be more education for that, not just the computer programs that You know, you're right, you check it off and some of the the programs, they're just ridiculous. I mean, they're ridiculous. I mean, everybody laughs at them when you're doing them, but there has to be, and there has to be more accountability, more listening to the patients. I did shrug, my hair went up on my back a little bit when you also mentioned having the partner or the husband speak up for the patients. We have to be careful of that at institutions. That often is... Uh, seen as aggression mm-hmm. I've had security called on partners for this <laughs> asking too many questions wow. leaning over me That's you know funny. you have to you do Were I mean like? it sounds ridiculous yeah. no like not. no Right, so it sounds ridiculous, but it happens, you know, if I I would never call security, if I had to call security for every time I felt intimidated in a room where I work, that would be overwhelming. So Mm -hmm. I think um, there there are a lot of little things that need to be addressed, and everybody has them. I have my own biases. Uh Be aware of them, you know, talk about different cultural experiences. Talk about different religions as well, That that's helpful. There are certain religions that you can't eat from sunup to sundown, right. um, and, and that should not be poo-pooed. There are plenty of diets and recommendations to hold those pregnant moms during the day. There are a lot of different cultures where the whole family comes in postpartum and are engaged, and we only have so many visitors, and that should be for protection of everyone on the unit. But that should be recognized as well. I think if there was a little more education in everybody's different ethnicity, um, different religious beliefs, I think we could we could um, make make some, some progress or take a niche a, a stab at this problem.
4: Yeah. So those are you know just really oh, you know really really good points. Um, just to extrapolate from that just a little bit, I'm just curious, uh, Lisa. Um, I know the state has mandatory cultural competency. Okay, do they mandatory bias? They do not.
17: Yeah. It's, is that something? is something it's that we are... It's, is, on the, it's on the horizon. It's happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the thing with some of those mandatory um, situations is the enforcement. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who is really tracking? You know? Who is really keeping a, a close watch on that? And if, a physician doesn't do that, what are the consequences? And so I think that we have more work to do there, but we're certainly moving in the implicit bias direction as opposed to just the cultural um, Rashonda,
4: you Rashonda, know, could, could you speak to, to the role of the doula and how this has uh, come to prominence in this time? Oh,
12: wow. So, yeah, I'm just sitting here um, kind of just absorbing. Uh, a lot has been said, and I'm number one, just uh, first of all, my name is Roncha. Uh-huh. Roncha Jefferson. I am a, um, I'm a mother, first, before I get into so many hats that we all where I'm a mother of six children. Yeah. And, um, and it does get people like the, oh, wow, you know, feeling like, how did you do it? Yeah. Um, I had the experience of going to hospitals and, you know, birthing six children vaginally and naturally. And um, my first four my birthing experience, uh, I birthed in New Jersey at Cooper Hospital and my first four, I was a young mom. Young wife uh, didn't have a clue about what was going happening to me in my body, my transition. I had the kind of moms that were, you know, telling me some things that were like, huh, mom? You know, those kind of things. So, but I did, in my family, had that cultural aesthetic where uh, grandma knew some major things, and mom knew some major things, and auntie knew some major things, and we used that to kind of get through. Um, however, sometimes it's just not enough. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, my experience in my first four was natural childbirth, breastfeeding, breastfed for um, over a year and a half. And that was my choice. That was my decision I made and at that time. I was just a, I was not just a, just, I was a stay-at-home mom. I stayed home with my children. I was able to be in that space. And I can't say that every black woman has that experience, or every woman has that experience. But I was able to be in my utopia of just like, you know, my children and things like that. But there were some things that were missing. I, my last pregnancies, I uh, my water broke early. And um, I was petrified <clears throat> 24 weeks. Didn't know what happened. Had no clue, no education on this at all. Nothing, when the hospital was rest for over a month and a half and my fifth child uh, was, um, I had regressed to emergency C-section. Had no clue. did you look four natural birth, you think you're a champion in this, you're doing it well. And I and uh, I had to go through that process with her and I didn't know if I was gonna make it or she was gonna make it. And it was a transition for me. And um, we got through that process and then by the time I had my sixth child, I, I was petrified to be pregnant again because I wasn't mm-hmm. sure what was going to happen to me. Now I'm saying all to say, in this whole process, I did not have a doula. I didn't because we didn't know what it was. Right. Family played role right. of doula. Mm-hmm. We do as African-American women and women, we know that we have doulas in our lives but we, I didn't have a doula like the way that Lisa said I was a doula. I'm like, where is
9: she at? You know, I'm like, I don't know where she
12: is. And I want to say that I represent all the doulas in the room. Right. Uh, doula's are just amazing people. But to get into the the texture of this conversation, it is a lot to unpack. Um, all my children are healthy. I thank God for that. My premature baby would not. I mean, this this is this firecracker. Whew.
6: Yeah. So, um,
12: but the experience of having. I can, now I can say that the Cooper staff, and I'll say this publicly, the Cooper team at the time did the best they could of what they knew. They were very good at doing what they could do in the maternal and infant um, um, unit that they had there that cared for me and my children, my child at that time and my family. But had I known about the things I knew now, maybe I would have raised some questions. You know what I mean? I would have raised questions at the time. But there were some things that were kind of off to me. I didn't know and I felt like my voice wasn't valued because I was just going through the motions of I just want a healthy baby and I just want to go back home to my children and my family. Um, in this process, my husband, and again, speaking about men involved in the process, his voice couldn't be too loud or be too soft mm-hmm. because there is the feeling of aggression or being aggressive. So. That's a little bit of the story about myself. My children now, older, my oldest is 21, He's an African percussionist, traveling around the country. My daughter, she's at Cornell University, um, and my other four are still in public school. So my, my, my background now is, yeah, I'm an active stay-at-home mom, but not really so much more I'm now. I'm really out in the community doing work, and I, my work really is based around from my education from the cradle up until you graduate high school and to uh, um, higher education. The role of a doula that happened with us is a true story. When I became a doula and became certified, moving forward, um, I, my trainer is inside the room, Jody Green. She's she's one of the doulas who were, are are, are pushing past the implicit bias of it only can be a separation of white women doing this and black women can come along if they want to. Jordy was intentionally putting black women inside of her cohort and training black women and saying, listen, we all have to do this work. It's all of us having to work and figure out how we can help build um, in partnership. So uh, when I was, I'm from Camden, New Jersey, and in my city, there were only two women who were dualists, and I was one of them. The other one is right now my assistant supervisor for this program. We'll talk about that in a second. So. We Jody was a part of the process of us meeting people like Lisa and the Department of Health, and being able to find a space for a grant where they were screaming, "We need! Where are the freaking doulas at? Where are the duos? <laughs> <laughs> where are the, doulas? <laughs> <laughs> at the At the end of the day, of the like right. So Jody became, um, from her uh, vast experience in being a doula for over uh, twenty plus years, she was in the space where she was a white woman writing, helping writing, and being partnered within this grant process. And the request the request was for it to be led by African-American women, mm-hmm. African-American boys. Because the issue was the mater- maternal and mortality rate of Black women. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want it to just keep saying women like, mm-hmm. of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot do that, I have to say Black women mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. space. Yeah. Black women were suffering yes. in hospitals. Yes. Totally. Four cities, especially Newark, yes. Trenton, Camden, and Latin City. Yes. We focused on those four areas. So when I was brought to the table, it was Jody. A white woman who was like, listen, we're not going to play this game. I know a duel and she can do it, and I'm going to step back. And she said, "Rancha, we prayed over this, we cried over it, we on the phone about it. It's happening. It's your time. Get in front of this and deal with the way supposed to. Mm-hmm. So, we're, and that right there, I'm putting that as just a put, pin back yeah. for every white person in this room. You have to step back and allow the people who are supposed to be impacted by it be in front of it. All right. right. All right. So- I'm just trying to tell this true love story. (laughs) Jody uh, and I, it was battle time. We were at the table, the Department of Health was there, there was a grant, there was money, and when that comes out, it comes with a lot of different criteria and recommendations of what needs to be done. And I applaud New Jersey. I have to say, this is the first time I really really feel good about being in New Jersey. All right. I gotta say
0: um, (laughs) that publicly.
12: All right, Jersey tomatoes too, okay? that being said, I felt good about it because yes. Yes. in this partnership we partnered with SNJPC, Southern New Jersey Parameter Cooperative, mm-hmm. and this group of women, which is really a white-led base, they were also checking their privilege too and saying we can't do this on our own. Though we have a lot of programs that offer we offer out to women, black women and women of color, we can't do this on our own. Yes. So our program, other healthy women and healthy families. Uh, was for them to find a community pro, a community-driven program to lead this, this, to the dual work that, that they're asking for, and that's where we came in at. So I was already doing community programs under Nimba, um, nurturing infant mothers, babies, and families. And we were working and teaching, just having just community-driven conversations about black birth, black women, the state of the black womb, things like that. And we were just doing it on our own because we said if we want to see change, we have to the change. And that was just happening in Canada specifically. Um, then when we got part of the grant writing process, uh, it, was, it, was, it was layers to it. And I have to really take a moment to really teach about that because I think people think it just kind of happened. it was layers to this. So we ended up partnering with SNJPC, and I want to make it very clear, we had never worked with them before. So now you got a new partner coming as community, very grassroots. Uh, one day, you might see me out in front of a, 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 a sea of 1,000 people talking about education justice, and you know, really resisting, because that's a big fight that we're on right now, or talking about the Economic Development Authority, how they're taking money from the residents of Camden. You may see me there, all that to me is dual work. I'm right. just serving, right? Yeah. All that's dual work, right? So I'm just serving in this situation. So um, we were able to partner with them and, and learn about the amenities of, what was going on with SJPC? Um, then it was turned to we need you all community organizers, the doula group, Nimba, to now organize women to be a part of this program. It didn't require a lot. We were already known in the community. We went on social media. We posted up just one flyer and said we were interested in now training Black and Brown women to become doulas. The flyer went viral. It went viral, went crazy, just just off of our basis just off of the women that we knew in the community. So, I'm trying to fast forward a little bit faster. Uh, we ended up getting over hundreds of women that were interested, ended up doing four trainings um, to be able for I'm no, sorry, four information sessions to get women to come in and kind of hear what the criteria was. The criteria was very simple. You had to be an African-American woman or identify as an Af- African-American woman. You had to um, live in Camden or Atlantic City, and you had to have transportation. You had to be willing to, um, be a part of a week long intensive training under the Uzazi Village. Now, Uzazi Village is special as an insert in this conversation because Uzazi Village is the training module that we use by the Department of Health to give. Um, training to African-American women to do this dual program. And people can say we could have used CAPA or we could have used other folks. We handpicked Uzazi because they were an African-American model that were teaching ancestral ways to train black women, Mm -hmm. to be able to deal with black women in the situation. Does that make sense? I was trained by CAPA originally. CAPA did not have a culturally biased type of chapter. It was just like overall general rule. Mm -hmm. But now with Uzazi, and the expertise of uh, Hakeema Payne from Kansas City, she was able to create a model module that women of color can see themselves, especially black women, and be able to use this to be able to get into professional places and train, and be able to also become a trainer and train more black women. So we trained for one week of, of uh, um, um, Uzazi. We were able to get uh, about, our numbers were 10 doors. Right, Jody? We pushed about 12. We pushed the envelope a little bit. like. You, got, you guys can give us a couple more dollars, we'll do 12. <laughs> and that was a small number, but we were able to get 12 women, 9 from Camden and 3 from that city to become trained in the process. So a that training, us working with the Department of Health, this has never happened before. This is mm-hmm. brand new. It's a new pilot program. That is, it's like I'm living in the moment right now. Yes. Sitting right here is still living in the moment. There was no conversation about where black girls are, where black work workers are, what is happening in South Jersey. It was not happening we were able to get these nine women, twelve women to be trained and they are now able to do a few things. Number one, certification training, they become already their own boss so they can become personal, take personal clients with this certification so now they can do their own type of business through the dual program, by being a doula. number one. Number two is in the program itself, we developed a, a, a new term, a new uh, kind of like entity under SJPc called Community Duels of South Jersey. So we created. So Nimba was first. That was that's my baby, right? And then I, we gave, we birthed Community Duels of South Jersey to give everyone a, a, a idea of Black and Brown doulas working together in the South Jersey area. These women are now able to do three prenatal visits. To so some of your points, um, a birth, birth labor, delivery. And also to postpartum visits, mm-hmm. and with that, those uh, that five in mind, that's they are paid for. They are paid to do right. the service they're doing mm-hmm. through the Department of Health grant, through the grants paying these twelve women to do the work in Atlantic City and in Camden, New Jersey. They are able to um, go into homes, meet women, um, going through a process of referral systems. Also, we do a lot of community recruiting ourselves. But the bigger part of this program that I want to really talk about that I think no one really sees the beauty of it is that black and black women are now sitting at tables with chairmen of um, obstetrics. We are sitting at ground rounds talking about what it is to be a doula. We are sitting with um, nurse providers, uh, women care centers, and we are partnering with these people. We are sitting with the first lady and the governor having a powwow about how important being a doula is. We are talking to assembly women. We are talking to commissioners of health and have these conversations. Three years ago, wasn't happening. There was no voice for black women and and women who were doulas to be at these tables. Legislation has been changed based on our work. And I have to say that very clearly today. We have testified, we have fought, we have yep. done everything we can possibly do. When I say fight in a battle right. of hear our cry, hear our thunder at the same time. That was the spirit of what we were doing for the door. So the benefits of having door, having the door, I just wanted to give you this part and I'm gonna sum it up here because I know people, sometimes I can really get passionate. There's 10, <laughs>
4: sometimes, there's 10 states
12: that have the highest paternal death rates. I want you to just hear it, and then talk, start thinking about which states are pretty much black. <clears throat> Louisiana. Georgia, India, Indiana, I'm sorry, Arkansas, New Jersey, Missouri, Texas, Texas, DC, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Jeez. And in those top cities, about eight eight of them are black cities. Mm-hmm. Black we well, let's say black black cities, states. 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 They're states. Yeah. A lot of them have a lot of black cities inside those states. So imagine how impactful it is if this program we have here in New Jersey is to become a pilot in every one of those states across the country. Right, where we are now bringing um, community doula's like ourselves. We are not clinical. We are women who go in and be in, and and work with families, not only the mother and the child, but families too, because the experience is new. A lot of women don't even think they can afford a doula. Okay. Most times, we go into these practices and go into these homes and do with clients and, and, and things like that. They ask, I can't even afford you. Thank God for the Department of Health for bringing this grant. the question is, how do we sustain it post this? Well, Medicaid said they'll pay us. Isn't that something? Yeah. Now Medicaid is covering dual services. Right. At one point, it wasn't happening. But because of the fight of legislators and commissioners who are fighting Thank you. hard for Sorry. this, we are able to Cover the ground. And I'm screaming this from the mountaintop because this is a time that African-American women are shining because we did not feel valued. I want to yes. say that to everyone inside this space, I speak for thousands and thousands of Black women who did not feel valued in hospital settings. Right. There is an implicit bias. There is a high level of injustice and racism and inequity in birth in hospitals. Women are dying at a rapid rate. Babies are dying at a rapid rate. Their women are going home, or not coming in because they don't feel valued. Yeah. They feel so as soon as they open their mouth, I'm going to be judged yep. based yep. on my economic status. Just because I might be a baby baby mom of five different, tribe, five children with five different daddies does not mean I'm still not a woman. Right. It does not mean that. Right. And then we also have to check ourselves on our privilege because, as the governor said, it doesn't matter how the baby got here, first thing I'm sorry, first he said, I don't say we're baby because I don't want to quote Mrs. Murphy, but she's amazing. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter how, the, how mama got here, it's just that I would like to see every mother have the same experience that I had,
9: okay. and
12: that's important. Right? How is it that white women can have such great experiences? And I'm not going to say all, because some have had bad, but black women have had far more worse experiences than white women. Mm -hmm. And then we can go deeper down the line. And we do have to call race inside the space, because black women are suffering the most. The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. In Atlantic City alone, the uh, mortality and infant um, infant and maternal mortality rate is three times higher for black women than it's for white women. Women are suffering amazing. Camden alone, same exact thing. If you would just see how many young girls are pushed to have cesareans based on the lack thereof of knowledge, the lack thereof of education, the lack thereof of family support, the lack thereof of anyone caring about what they would like, what they need. In those facilities, you would be surprised. They're
5: not making it an
12: option. It's a, it's so many things we unpack in this space right. that I just think we don't have enough panel time for that. But this is what we're here for, right? This is what we show up for. I represent women all over the state of New Jersey, all over the United States of America that are using their voice to stand strong for women's wombs, especially black women's wounds. So I want to leave you with this. I just want to tell you a, a couple of things before we move on to the um, rest of the panel. Is that we are currently, this is what we're looking for, we want to partner with you all. The community of soft we want to partner with everyone. We're looking to do partnerships with hospitals, partnerships with operation managers, par- par- partnerships with local nurses, community outreach, OBGYN committees, staffs, um, uh, co- uh, women's core care groups, and also transportation. That issue that was raised in this space is so important women are not, black women are not able to get from point A to point B and lug three or four children across the town to get to their business. We want to encourage women that having a doula inside with them, is not because you don't know what you're doing, it's because you know exactly what you're doing. And you need a woman or someone to be in that state with you to also help you see that you can get across this hurdle. Women at, at points, and I just want to close with this, Having a doula is just having a, service, a servant inside that room. And servant not in the spirit of um, uh, someone who do just what you say or someone who's humble enough to love you through the process. Because everything that goes on inside that birth room is not pretty. Right. right. As Jody always said, birth right. is very juicy. that. Birth is very juicy and it can be it can be extremely crazy at times. It goes to an emotional roller coasters. But having a doula in that room is to say this is normal. You're doing okay. We got you. What do you need? I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. Having a woman have a birth plan. A black woman said to us at one setting, I never knew I can have a birth plan. Right. These are things that we gotta check on ourselves. Women, black women don't, don't even know because we've been told no or we don't feel valued that these things are important to have. I'm not saying all black women have that experience, but I'm speaking for all of my sisters who struggle and don't know that they can have or don't know after the postpartum process that someone still should be there with you, walking you through the process. So I'm saying all to say is that yes, the doulas are important. We are not to come back with any of the staff that are in the hospital. We are friends. We are friends of them. We don't want that to be the energy. Nurses, I'm, I'm being honest, I'm going to put it on the table right now. Our experiences in some hospitals in New Jersey is a little weird because we're getting the spirit of we're coming in to take over, and we're not. We're coming here to check on mom, baby, and making sure that all is well because there are some things that are going on with core clamping. I'm going to put it out there. Some things going on with um, women being able to uh, have that uh, skin-to-skin time after birth. These are some things we've got to start raising these bars on, saying why are, why is it when a black woman comes with a plan, there's always another story of oh, we can't do that right now, or we don't know we're able to do that, or, we don't know we can keep your placenta. These are things we've got to check on because they're happening every day in the hospitals. And I might be going a little far off. I'm going to go to I want to dig too deep and to come, <laughs> to be, to come up. So with that being said, I just want to say to all of you, um, this space and this panel, um, thank you, Crystal. For uh, uh, making this um, important because the state of black women right now in New Jersey, though we are passing legislation, though we are passing law, when it hits the ground where us, the organizers, or the, the the organizers, or the doulas are, my doula head on, we are seeing some things that are not connecting to the value of black women. All we would like to see is that the way that we all see. Baby bags and pacifiers are used. Oh, she's so beautiful. Do you have her little, do you have her little, do you have this, do you have that? Same thing should be asking black women, where's your doula? Mm-hmm. It should be the same exact thing. The mm-hmm. you know, same way we say you have this, you have that, all things that we line up, that's what it is. We should also be asking, who's your doula? Make that become a household name. Mm-hmm. Who right. is your doula? We have plenty of women who are able to serve and do this work. And women of color, especially black women, need the support. And I would just all ask all of us inside this space to figure out, go deeper inside yourself, dig deeper down to your roots and stretch your edges to find out how can we partner with other black organizations to make sure that the work that you do in these institutions are being is connecting to the women who need this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm.
4: Amen.
15: You want to drink the coffee? I, I want to drink whatever coffee you're drinking. <laughs> From
12: Atlanta,
4: so I just I just got to stop on that um that high off the plane I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that was really wonderful. And uh, I just want to ask one um and it was so intense, okay, that I'm gonna, I gotta ask one question of the US, and I don't know if people would like that, sure to have short break. Um are there any nurses here who have worked with doula's, and what has their experience been? That's a good question.
1: Um, I have to say, uh, I work with Jody quite a bit, and Jody is phenomenal. She is, she she is probably is. the best doula we've ever had. But I will say, she kudos is. to you guys in your training. I recently did a had a patient who had one of your graduates mm-hmm. in your program, and she was phenomenal. I she was young. I, I don't remember much about the patient except that she was young. And I didn't want her in the bed, when she was early in her labor process, but I couldn't convince her to get out of bed. She was, no, I'm fine. No, nope, no thanks, I'm fine. Okay, so, you know, whatever, I'm busy, I'm a nurse. You know, I'm trying to stay at the bedside all the time. But when I came back in the room, she was out of the bed, on a burping ball, moving around, and her doula was in her doula got her out of the bed. So I was so grateful that that girl had shown up. So after a little while, we conversed, and I realized she was a graduate from your program. So you guys are doing great work. Thank you. <clears throat> and one more question: Is there any grant money for women with private insurance to mm-hmm. get a
12: doula? Because
1: that the cost it will be cost prohibitive for a lot of women mm-hmm. who have <coughs> private insurance. Yeah.
12: So. Um, does anybody want to speak to that? that's in my wheelhouse, but I, I always defer to the people who are dealing with it more often than me.
17: Anybody want to so, speak So I'll, I'll answer that. I think that we began these pilots just yes. for that reason, as pilots, you know, mm-hmm. to sort of see where we could go, to really make a strong case for the impact, and to really solicit and get some sustainable funding. Mm-hmm. As the Assemblywoman stated, we've begun with Medicaid, right? So yes. it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So that. I can take my dollars to support more training, more capacity building. As you said, we can't we can't grow enough doulas fast enough at this rate. But there still is the the risk factor. You know, some not only Medicaid women need doulas, and so currently in our our program, we don't say you have to be Medicaid or not, and so we do. Provide doulas for all women. Mm-hmm. This is good. Now that Medicaid is paying for the Medicaid women, we can then pay for the others if they meet our risk criteria, right? And so I'm, I'm hopeful that as we have Medicaid, which is a big payer on the table, we can ins- get the private insurance side to sort of jump in as well. I say to folks, what do you want to pay for? Do you want to pay for the NICU stay? at the millions of dollars, or do yeah. you want to pay this? Yeah. You, you tell me, but it's on me to make the case and the argument that indeed yeah. what we are doing does impact the bottom line. So, mm-hmm. I think the programs are great, but I will also say we're asking the list to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Collect data, yes. partner with a community health worker, give us good information as to what is happening at these very um, significant milestone times, because I have to make the case that this indeed is is being helpful and so uh, there's a little bit of tension because that, that's not their area but it really is required and so together we're working to really establish some real critical benchmarks so that we can make the case and outside, to that
12: And outside of the program, just for the women looking for dual services, you can't Your insurance will cover um, to a certain degree, other, like other services, um, insurance companies outside of what we're doing, the state of New, New Jersey Department of Health if you were looking for a dual just to be covered, you can't get your insurance. Okay. There are, there are some parameters and some people and some buttons to price. but you can get covered. Yeah. How are you getting the word out about uh, the duals?
13: Is it? Uh, are these women dependent on the doctors to tell them, or is, it, mm-hmm. um, is this an issue? What can we do to help I guess? That's a great question.
12: I, I did not pay her to sit here and ask
13: that <laughs> 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 um,
12: There are ways. So through our program, the Department of Health is doing an amazing job of just making sure that clearly everything that we're doing is put through the state of New Jersey, right? Um, locally, for Camp and City, it's a lot of our own partnership, but through SNJPC, we have, um, we're on their website. Uh, we have our own Facebook page, Community Duels South Jersey, we're doing our own outreach, we're in quick offices, we, we are open to come to any area that you are doing something in, you just want to go to speak, we will come and we will speak about it. So if you want to reach out to us specifically, it's um, info, info at cdosj.org. Jody, I did a good job, (laughs) I'm doing it, because Jody says you never give the right (laughs) email. Info at cdosj.org, you can uh, email us there. You can also email me at ronsha at cdosj.org. Jody's in the room, you email Jody at Jody, J-O-D-I at dot org, and we serve as the, um, the administration and Helen, who was the third doula, who's our other supervisor, she's also there too. So we're here, one of our doulas is inside the room by Hisha Becker, we shot her out. She's doing some amazing work um, with, birthing, with birth in um, Camden and also in uh, the South Jersey area. And today, just to speak about that, I just want to tell you that we have, um, our expectation was to first to do what, 28 births for Jody, 28 births and we are now for 31. So we're
0: pushing, we're pushing,
12: Mm -hmm. and, 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 -hmm. dot, dot, dot. (laughs) We're now on our our next cohort. So, just as a note to all of you, we're getting ready to open up the floodgates for folks to come in and be a part of the next training. Or community Duals in South under uh, the Department of Health Grant, Healthy Women Healthy Families, we're grades 1 new training in um, July. So we're going to do an information session of meeting new women, who, black, African-American women, uh, women who identifies African-American women of color who uh, are interested in becoming adults. We have a new cohort coming up. We're going to have a graduating class and a new cohort coming in. So thank you for that.
2: Yeah. Question, <laughs> is
12: that new cohort, will that still be limited to Camden and Atlantic City? That is our, that is our two cities we're focusing on. So it is, we have to be um, now, now for train, for, um, I want to make that very clear. You can live in the Camden, the, the South Jersey area, so close to Camden, within miles of Camden, because you, it, cause in the dual world, it's a matter of being able to get there, right? Mm-hmm. So if we have a girl that's from Philadelphia, she's in the surrounding area, right? Doctors understand that you got to be able to get there, right? Mm-hmm. And then Atlantic City is in the Atlantic County area, as long as you can get to Atlantic City, but we're, just, we're serving women only in Camden, so Atlanta City. You can come here go yeah, <laughs> as, long as you get that. Yes, right. So if you, that, I want to make that very clear. This, the criteria is if you live in the surrounding area of the cities we're serving, then you could be possibly become a trained doula. But you have to know that you, women, the women that we're recruiting is from Atlanta City, Camden, the clients that we're serving are Camden City and Atlanta City are women. Thank you for the clear.
2: And you'll get that word out.
12: Yes, so we're going to organizations. So the organizations, I want to also shout, NAACPs bring us in. We want to come and support and be able to talk about this and take a deeper dive. We want to take a deeper dive with folks because this is like we're on the surface. But sometimes we want to get down to the weeds. We want to, we want to dig deeper into the weeds and talk about the things that we don't want to, We can't always say in these panels because there's so much to say. We want to talk deeper about some things that we're experiencing and being able to find solutions. I appreciate the nursing, the nursing staff for being here for saying there are some things that are not being trained. We want to de-silo this whole health system. It's very siloed. We want to de-silo it because everyone should be speaking the same language and we're we'll really trying to get the same results, honestly. So yeah, we can, we'll have that deeper, dive.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is have a question?
5: So Atlantic County is down there with Camden County in um, New Jersey's bottom of the barrel for uh, our rates for deaths at the moment. So
2: you were talking about protocol, and we were talking about racism, implicit bias. What, if you were to, I guess, triage, what is the more important, what is the faster way to fix something, to go in and change the protocol of the hospital, or to find you were talking about the implicit bias trainings being sort of silly. Is there one that you are familiar with that does do good work?
16: I don't know about implicit bias, per se, being a good pro- program. I wouldn't say they're silly. Well, It's just, just some of the, the examples okay. of racism in these things that you have to do. That's not what we're talking about. You know, they're not very helpful. I think the protocols really take a lot of that out of it. So it doesn't say, you know, if you're this or this, start with law or start with It's If you have this blood pressure, it doesn't matter. This is where you start. If it doesn't work after so many minutes, this is where you go. I mean, it's very... it it eliminates a lot of any, I I think it eliminates bias, racial bias, racism, I mean, but it has to be enforced and the whole group has to buy into it. Maybe you could speak because I know you helped with it. um,
15: Maternal mortality is not a disease, it's a a syndrome. Mm -hmm. and By that I mean there's multiple causes of it.
6: Mm -hmm.
15: And I don't know that it's a this or that, I see protocols as helpful to increase awareness and early recognition of disease processes that can be treated earlier and prevent the near misses than later. And there's good example to show that in the United Kingdom, um, and they've been doing this at least since I was a fellow, which was two decades ago, incredibly, um, where every three years they publish a synopsis of every maternal mortality in the United Kingdom. And they look at what uh, the common themes of those maternal mortality, and that's available to all uh, in the United Kingdom. And actually, my co-fellow in training was from Ireland, and he turned me on to this. I wasn't even aware of this 20 years ago. And I got a copy of one uh, triennial review, and I read through it. And it was very telling. It really increased my awareness as a provider. But that was more about well, in this woman's case it was anesthesia, in this woman's case it was hemorrhage, in this woman's case it was um, uh, uh, hypertension. That's data, but that data then gets mined to come up with protocols. Well, how can we reduce the, the burden of hypertension and morbidity and mortality through protocols? And where nurses are great is they follow protocols much better than physicians do, truthfully. And nurses are with the patient much more than the physician, so there are eyes and ears if we're willing to listen to those eyes and ears. So I think what this has shown is that protocols help. Extend that a little further in California, and I think New Jersey is doing similar things, they incorporate the public into their protocol. So the California uh, the California collaborative determined that 41 percent of the return on mortality was preventable. And they devised both medical protocols to address that, but also public-driven mm-hmm. initiatives. So there was coordination between uh, the public, the health professionals and the legislators and how to deal with this. I think the point about biases is, is that it's subconscious. So protocols are blind to race and blind to sociodemographic factors. So I think there's a lot of value to protocols. But where our biases come into play is if we don't initiate that protocol or we change that protocol subconsciously because we talk away certain things. Oh, she's not engaged because she's non-compliant. Or she's not engaged because she doesn't care about the baby. That's almost never the case. It's always other factors that if we delved a little deeper and we don't walk away that hypertension as, well, you know, she's just uh, postpartum, we don't have to worry about preeclampsia or a lot of salt in the diet or whatever. So I think there is a, I don't think it's a, a bias or a protocol. I think it's, it's a synergy between the two, truthfully.
16: And I think the protocols, if you're asking what would work the fastest, the protocols. They would They would work the fastest. Um, and I, 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 because everybody has to buy into it, I, I definitely like the idea, and I think... We even have a piece at our hospital as well. There's a uh, piece of paper that they have in triage for family members when they leave about high blood pressure and postpartum, what to look for and when to call your provider, which is excellent. I mean, that's just ahead of the game. So that's first. The bias and the racism piece for me, that's a long story in the making to fix. I think that's going to be your slower piece, probably. If I had to take a guess, the best way to start working on that is to actually check your colleagues when it occurs. Right. She's always like, oh, she was angry when she came in. That's right. You know, our pressure was like that when she came in. Oh, here they all come. Yeah. Oh she's never gonna push. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? She only went to three visits, but she boy she got a better cell phone than mine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 the little things. Oh did you see him? The way he was dressed? Oh they're only dressed because he thinks he's important. You didn't really think about he got dressed because every time he doesn't dress he gets treated poorly, so Absolutely. maybe if I dress up nicely, right. you'll treat me nicely. Right. Mm-hmm. So there, there's that. That is, um, that's something that that's that's not a medical school start, mm-hmm. and it may never get corrected. It just may not for a lot, but it's something that does need to be recognized so that you can start working on Absolutely. it. You know, but the yeah. protocol. If I'm going to try to um, to get past that first death or the first morbidity, yeah, the protocol helps. The hemorrhage protocol is great. And I'll tell you another reason why is because somebody like me, not all physicians do it, I'm up for 24 hours. And sometimes I get no sleep, you know? And sometimes I get an hour or 20 minutes broken. And it's very nice to have that protocol at 3 a.m. when someone's bleeding. The institution of the QBL versus estimated. It looked like a chuck but it was really a leader. These are all things that, you know, oh, another thing I have to do, Mm -hmm. but when you really had to save somebody, that's helpful. The protocols that, you're right, the nurses bring in, they bring in the hemorrhage kit already. I forgot about that at Mm -hmm. 3.30. You wanna know why? Because she was (coughs) induced for two days, Dr. Mm -hmm. White. You know we have this here for you. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. It does, it takes the whole team, you know, it's the whole team that has to buy into it, and you have to be, At a facility that does that, you're absolutely correct. You know the golden hour. You know I never thought about that. What you were saying, there's always a reason why you don't have skin to skin and breastfeeding isn't initiated right away. Because I'll be honest with you, I take it for granted. Mm -hmm. I don't get a lot of excuses. If anything, I have NICU standing over there waiting. Mm -hmm. Can I still have delayed cord clamping? A baby doesn't look. You're fine, right. you know, and, and take a blanket and stimulate the baby right on, Mom. Yeah. So I take those things for granted sometimes that even here, you will have other hospitals that may not mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. Um, but I think the protocols is the initial step will help because you don't have to think too much about it. And if I do have a bias or if I'm racist towards a, a, a something else or somebody else, it takes that out of there mm-hmm. and initially.
13: protocols can be state.
17: Not just hospitals? No, that's good, sorry. We're working with the New Jersey Hospital Association to make them statewide Mm -hmm. for all hospitals. I want to say with the C-section bundles, I believe we have all hospitals who have signed on. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I feel like I just want to just comment on your, there's no quick fix. Hmm. Right. This is a, yeah, you, and, and you know that. And I think that the implicit bias and the training yeah. is really designed to sort of disrupt yeah. a system that has been operating this way for 400 years. Yeah. right. So we're really trying to undo many of these things. And I think from where I sit, um, Assemblywoman talked about the fact that I work with my colleagues from other state agencies. Mm-hmm. I wish it was just a health solution or a, a clinical solution but it's not yeah. it's about housing transportation you know yeah, what right. is the diet mm-hmm. yeah, how right. did how, oh, how exactly are women operating during point. that interconception period are there fruit fresh fruits and vegetables yeah. in the neighborhood I mean I, I say this because I go out and I talk a lot about the doulas and the work that we're doing, but I did an event in East Orange that will stay with me forever. It was about promoting breastfeeding in the African-American community, nice Wick clinic, babies, moms, and all that. But yet when we heard from the mothers and the mothers started sort of talking, speaking to their stories, it wasn't about breastfeeding. It was about, I had a baby and I was waiting on my temporary disability insurance check or my family leave check. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the hospital, I didn't know if I should think about giving this baby up for adoption because I was about to be homeless. Mm -hmm. So all these things about all of the, 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 you know, we're worried about breastfeeding and all that and the mind is worried about, are the lights still going to be on when I get this baby home? Where do I live? Do I feel safe? Does my partner or husband have a job? All of these things are all of these stressors, right, that do not create for a good situation when the doctors meet the patient at delivery time, you know? And so I think a lot of the work that we're doing is this work But it's also working with folks on, how do we expedite temporary disability insurance? The moms that I talk to are are making hard decisions because your Department of Labor system is jacked up. You need to do better. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure people get emergency childcare, transportation, that you're not calling a 1-800 number and getting click, 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 and losing hope? You know, all of these things. How do you acknowledge that a postpartum depression is real? Mm-hmm. And a black mom is not afraid to say, I feel down because here comes D C P and P to come yes. and take my baby, yes. when what I'm experiencing is very normal. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the work that I do is actually not necessarily health work, but really working with my colleagues yes. in the mm-hmm. system to develop a system that supports these families. And yeah. so we've spent a lot of time and investment in community health workers. That we partner with doulas like her that are navigators and really help people get to what they need when they need it so that we can get the outcomes that the docs, you know, and the nurses and the rest of us are all looking for. But I wish it was as simple as you know, a protocol or skin to skin and all that, but it's life, like that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We gotta get here first before we we get to the summit. And I think that that
15: is what we're really seeing with the families that we're working with. May I add something to that? I, I think you hit on an incredibly important point. I think of it as trees. There's the trees that exist that we have to support. That's where protocols can really help. And then there's the trees who are growing from the seedling up to the tree, and that's where all these things can help. As physicians, we're very focused on medical protocols, because that's real to us. You know, How do we prevent and treat hypertension, et cetera? But I'm proud to say that I've seen a couple things that Virtua has sponsored that has really made an impact in my patients' lives. One is transportation. So at one of our campuses, um, folks are less socioeconomic means than at the other campus. So they provided this pilot uh, ride service that we can prescribe almost. You know, as doctors, we're used to thinking of, do I have to prescribe you a moxicillin or do I have to prescribe you a prenatal vitamin, et cetera, et cetera. But we don't think in terms of, as well, do I have to prescribe you a ride service so that you can get to your visits, so that I can engage with you, or vice versa, actually, you can engage with me also. And secondly, there's a mobile farmer's market but it's not just a farmer's market. I think Virtua realized, for example, that those folks have other needs, to your point, and they get hooked up with a social worker at that time too. So you get fresh produce. And by the way, we are just touching. In my own life, in my own personal life, I'm taking a phytonutrient journey. And as allopathic doctors, we have failed to understand the impact that nutrition and other things can have on health. And um, I think we're just beginning to learn that. So hooking people up with fresh produce, which they might not have in their community or might not have the economic means, but also ho- hooking them up with the social work support that they need to get back on their feet, for example, if they're going through it. A transitory time right. yeah. is all going to be part of it. But that's the nurturing the seedling. Yeah. The protocols are for the trees that already exist. Yeah. I guess I just want to support
12: yeah, that. that, yeah, that, that I'm um, uh, kind of tie this one in. But I'm um, on a dual side and just dealing with um, maternal infant maternal health. Um, there are some things we can do that's kind of prior to getting to the where We're looking at protocol. I mean, we can put it just as in in the context of how do we do do deal with community partnerships? I think that hospitals. Um, when you're dealing with service and you're dealing with dealing with it, with people that are coming from the community that surrounds the hospital or people coming into that hospital, there has to be a community partnership that really speaks to the, the, the so value, the value of what patients need inside those hospitals. And what we're finding is that the hospital is kind of sitting above it. And it's not really a, a true community partnership of a pipeline yeah. of people going in and out that hospital. That's constantly being able to sit at tables. They may not have the letters behind their name, but their experience yeah. makes them an expert yeah. in certain areas. Yeah. Does that does that make sense? Yes. So, yes. in partnership, we're saying that we need to see that happen more often. I'll, I'll give you an example. Dr. Berger from our later words, Um we had OBG at uh, OBGY right in there um, And the merger. Um, mm-hmm. step my mind. a moment. Um, He came to SNJPC and said he cannot watch another mother or baby die in his watch. He said, "I need your doors. I need them to come into this program." He's right in the heart of um, Camden, New Jersey. They have Osborne Clinic who deals, deals with a lot of black women who are pregnant and, and um, also going through their process. And he made it important to invite right. doulas mm-hmm. to come to a meeting with him to say, we are going to walk up the red carpet, not because being a doula is so sexy. It's because I can't do this on my own. I need the support of women who seeing themselves in you. The women that I'm serving look just like you. Need to see. They don't need to see me. Need to see you, and we can support each other. Because I also want to build blocks with you to say, what can we do to support you? How can we help you not feel like you're not a part of the team here? Mm-hmm. So we're building that relationship right with them and that community partnership beyond the Department of Health brand will still be there because the those that are serving in Camden. Are in the city, so now we can go into uh, uh, our lady wards and see um, many of the, uh, the of the ob staff, and they're saying, "Hey, so and so, look at the value the value that's in that." Like me, a mother from Camden, going to a hospital and I have a doctor saying, "Hey, you're here for birth." We're having a conversation. And it's not to take away all the loans and stuff you guys have to get. <laughs> I'm not me. I'm Don't not accusing that. I'm not that. I'm
4: saying that I'm the spirit
12: lying. of us have this new engagement that wasn't there before, where you right. can hear a black woman's voice inside beside yeah. Stacey yeah. saying, "You have something to offer to my my, my plethora of knowledge that I've had, I gained over years of being in this practice." The second thing is, is that being a part of Brown rounds, we were in a room of. Obstetricians that or in gynecologists and staff and, and nursing staff that were able to have dialogue with doulas. Like, just have a conversation of
15: what can we do. You're giving me a great idea. Actually, mm-hmm. light going off. I like my vocals. I would imagine that mm-hmm. creates trust yeah. between the patient it and, and the yes. physician. and the physician, right. could yeah. be a nurse, uh, yeah. midwife, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, in is of itself, helps breaks down a lot the of bias this, barriers. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's a great idea. So when you do that, mm-hmm. I see
12: your hand. I'm gonna move on. I just want to say that. So, mm-hmm. but that, and then also, um, the ground rounds being a part of those conversations can break down a lot of those biases too. When not can have direct conversations, we're taking out the funk inside. The, I say words like that funk because nurses don't feel intimidated. Dual school, they can talk to this nurse directly. There's no power struggle there. It's just we're here for the same reason, right? We're here to help mom. That's it, mom and baby and family. Um, referrals to the program. If doc, imagine doctors saying, and you're prescribing transportation and prescribing medicine and things to help mom, you're Let's saying, I want to prescribe this doula for you. <laughs> Call this number and see if you can get involved in, in touch with this doula. I think they'll be good for you, Great. right? And then partnering that partnership with those moving forward. Like other things we can do beyond just actually in the labor delivery room, what are the big events we're doing in the community that are highlighting those that have a voice inside of spaces? If you're doing a big health fair, if you're doing a big event where you're bringing in some of your funders, you can say, this is what has helped us to be able to up our numbers and reduce these numbers. That's important in partnership. Right, yeah. Yeah. So take them all, come back, call me back. Take them all, come <laughs> back, call me back. Uh, yeah. uh,
4: there was another question from the floor?
14: i actually like to make a couple statements statements right, addressing two points that were just made. One, one quick, which is solving racism at the hospital can only go so far when society is racist and our residents Right. Yeah. So, and also with food and electricity, will my lights be on when I get home? So you're sort of like trying to solve all of the problems in that pregnant woman's life because yeah. what choice do you have? But you can only go so far, you can only do so much when society doesn't, you know, you're know, you on a foundation of quicksand. Mm-hmm. Um, but the larger point I wanted to make was um, I, I couldn't be more proud of my wife. We, we did a lot of research and, and she gave two natural births with no drugs, no procedures. And she was in the gym twice a week up until the three days before our first was born. Or, and, um, but no matter how privileged you are, birth is not for the faint of heart. I <laughs> 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 my, my first, was in, my, my oldest one was in danger during his birth, and my wife was in danger during our youngest birth. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, to have Racism is just, disaster. I mean, it's difficult enough as disaster. it
17: is.
15: It's a disaster. Um, disaster. I, I think you said something really important. You said, I'm proud of my wife.
17: Isn't it
7: something?
15: Yeah, that's um, an important statement. <laughs> um,
14: so, so we had, a, we had a duel both times, yeah. and my youngest, who was my oldest, who was three, when his little brother was born, we got a duel over him so he could be with us in the Yay. room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, For profit healthcare has stolen the birth experience from the family and the mother and society and and community. And I see doulas as being trained in the for profit system and trained in that experience as it used to be before the for profit system. Mm -hmm. And doulas create a space to be able to have a natural childbirth in a corrupt system. Mm -hmm. And, And they can also help make the decision of when is it time to let go and that we do need technology because yeah. things are just, I mean, 90% of the time it's fine, yeah. but 10% of the time you really do need to let go right. and we need that technology in order to yeah. save their lives. Yeah. Um, and that's
15: it. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Didn't yeah. She didn't have it earlier.
5: If you don't mind. Uh, so one of the things, and this is addressed nationally this year at a rather large um, nursing convention down in DC, the Institute of Health. And one of the problems that has been very quiet, but our nursing communities do not reflect our communities. Only 10% of the nurses in America, African-American, are, are black. And this is something that needs to change because the problems that we see if you go into any hospital and if you're in a North, you're in a Camden, a Patterson, or anywhere, when you come in, and I've seen it bringing patients that are pregnant to facilities, and it literally, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I've, had, I've had EMTs I work with just say to me, if, anyone talk to my, if someone talks to my wife like that, what would I say? And this, you know, it's, it's an issue. Yeah. We have to really work at developing in our communities too, young men, young women from the time they're in high school, developing paths for them to become nurses. Yeah. And yeah. even more importantly is to get involved in maternal care, yeah. making care. But they really are going to make a difference. Yeah. The other thing happens about training and protocols. And one of the things that we really do need to do is invest in that training. A lot of the training that nurses receive, believe it or not, is on a computer system. It's a point and click, a point and click, a point and click. These nurses are doing it in between patient care. What we need to do is have sim labs to have an opportunity for these nurses to work multidisciplinary needs, like a doula, a physician, or resident having where these complications are happening. It could be an emergency room scenario of a pulmonary embolism. It could be in labor and delivery where now you have an emergency section. It could be in an ICU with a patient going into help syndrome. I have a friend who's a professor and she teaches nursing in Chamberlain and they actually used um, Lauren Lauren Lubstein, who was a nurse from Morstown. She um, unfortunately had died, went into help syndrome. Her husband was an orthopedic surgeon. She was a NICU nurse, and she died in a New Jersey hospital because signs and symptoms were missed. Mm-hmm. So, what that school does with their nursing students is they use that sim and they recreate it so that there's an opportunity to say, well, this was a sign and symptom that was missed. What would you do? Mm-hmm. There's so many publicized cases of this. Judge Hackett's daughter.
3: Daughter. Right? Yeah. Never one. Yeah. Yeah. What well, could you do? What would you yeah. do? Yeah.
5: There's so many things. This is where we need to invest, because doing that sim lab, doing that multidisciplinary, having a symposium, we mm-hmm. don't get education like this on a regular basis.
15: I think that's an important point. We need that for muscle because memory, that's
5: what we need to you do. You know, we had
15: a mantra in medical school, mm-hmm. see one, do one, teach one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And nice. at first, we just kind of said it tongue in cheek. But in reality, you could have all the protocols on Earth, but if you don't practice it. Mm-hmm. So for example, at Virtua, we do have sim lab. Mm-hmm. And we simmed out. We had a need a couple of years ago, to your point. We weren't doing hypertension well. So we developed a protocol, but now we sim it. So um, forget racial bias, there's medical bias. You know, that's shaped by the last nine patients you've seen. You know, so this helps get rid of the bias. But um, I really enjoy, one of my passions is medical education, so I lecture a lot for CME. I write CME. And um, what I have seen, I've been lecturing for 20 years now. And what I have seen shifted, at least in the organizations that I lecture for, is there are didactic lectures, but there's more and more case studies where you break out into smaller groups with the audience mm-hmm. and you go over cases, the good, bad, and the ugly. And um, to your point, I think if you only practice the algorithms, that's the only way you're going to follow. I mean, one of the
5: things, too, Department of Health, to partner with the Board of Nursing, what if? Because Maternal death can happen anywhere. Someone can be readmitted, they can go into a mid-surge unit, a telemetry unit, an ICU, L&D, emergency room. So other than the pediatric unit, they can wind up anywhere in these hospitals. What if there was, every time we renew our licenses, we have to have so many credit hours within a certain guideline. So, a lot of times I think now we're still doing, uh, I think we're doing opiate, which is like, right? So that's one of our mandatory things. Mm-hmm. Could there be developed something that's mandatory, like the opioid or uh, child neglect abuse, you know, so a Pennsylvania one, um, that nurses who are emergency uh, telemetry, medical surgical, um, LD, we where? This is part of their every two-year renewal.
15: Mm-hmm. Not and just nurses, physicians. Right.
5: But I'm just like I'm just thinking, it's because there's so many of us. But no, to,
15: to her yeah. point, to your point, yeah. not just the nurse in the ER or in yeah. the ICU who only deals with the pregnant woman, you know, once in a while, mm-hmm. um, but the ER doc and yeah. the ICU doc. I mean, there be here. where there's a, a live or like a mm-hmm. webinar base for the
5: initial, and then that every two years? I think that's, that's a great idea. Price, that's, like, that's a great it's price, idea. like of things,
16: but. Yeah, that could be instituted. But I know where I trained, um, they had the same guidelines and algorithms for us. And they actually went to every shift and taught the emergency room and the ICU about the pregnant woman and the postpartum woman. Every person that came, we had a triage area for obstetrical patients but every patient went to to the emergency room because they felt as though if she had a pressure of 190 over 120, pregnant or not, any person would be treated in the emergency room. And they had already instituted a Foley catheter, magnesium sulfate, they had already got an IV hypertensive while I was being paged as a resident. There was not one patient that went through that emergency room through the hospital, not stabilized. And it took the initiative of the chairman, the department chair, to actually physically go there. And do that with the ICU so that no one got missed. You know, I mean, that's how it worked there, and it doesn't take much to do, and that's why I still believe. And it's, it's, it's. You know, one aspect is well, we're rushed, we're doing this, we're doing that, and the other. In my mind's eye, any postpartum pregnant woman. That, that's unacceptable answer. It's too rushed. Mm-hmm. 190 over 120 would not be ignored yeah. and shipped to the ICU if it were a man. It just wouldn't happen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It would not happen. Yeah. So you, we should all be treated the same. Right. It is a disease. Mm-hmm. It is an emergency. Right. And it needs to be stabilized. But even, in, but
5: even in triage, when you're triaging in emergency rooms, and we surveyed nurses in New Jersey. So we had, we surveyed in the it's national
16: It's education. Location. That's we
5: all it is. Emerging, not every emergency room in New Jersey, their software does not have in there, have you delivered a baby within the last 365 days? Mm-hmm. Correct. So this mm-hmm. is where sometimes things get missed. And yeah. most nurses, when we survey them, and we survey on a almost more than quarterly basis, mm-hmm. and we have breakout site, I actually go right to Edison's, so we have a chapter meeting of 55 nurses, where they're even saying as labor and delivery nurses, you know, they're getting their education, but the rest of the entities may not be getting it. Yeah. And that's where like, we need
16: something that's going to be across the board.
5: That's right. Mm-hmm. Could I, can I just uh, say one thing? I think that uh, um, uh, Lisa had
4: brought up that in New Jersey, New Jersey is more active than I think. Per, per, in this mm-hmm. room, suspect yeah. that there mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. many, many of uh, these initiatives that are um, uh, in place in uh, you know in, in almost all of uh, uh, you know the different you know the different regions. And I know from the institution that I to, the simulations for our department because our department is the one that sets policy for our department that they're mandatory. We have mandatory simulations, um, uh, for and uh, you can't renew your privileges. You can't you can't come there. You know, yeah. Yeah. Do well, I mean, like the hospitals, hospital sixteen right. hospitals, and they have one educator for the NFM program, which,
5: which is specifically mm-hmm. dealing yeah. with maternal complications. Yeah. Right. So it was failing in that system, mm-hmm. and we knew it. We identified it. And the excuse was mm-hmm. we're well, we not an educator right now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's not mm-hmm. very good, it's a completely different region of New Jersey, mm-hmm. but this so, is what this is why like again mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about this. My colleagues, from the 4,000 Nurses at they are very passionate about this because these are the people at the bedside that if mm-hmm. there's a mistake they're gonna catch it, they have to have the education, they mm-hmm. have to have the training, they have to have enough staff to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If there's if there's a nurse that has ten patients in the ER or I've heard of someone who had 22, and generic work there. It's not safe. You know, like they have to have eyes on, they have to have that ability to take care of that patient. Those are the things that we, as nurses, the bedside nurses that are literally hands on with the patients, have been crying out for.
12: I just respect where, where, um, where you're coming from because I think that. And if this wasn't a setup for this kind of conversation, mm-hmm. there will be some things missed, right? And I think I hear, I hear your passion and your cry out because this, even the point that we raised, I didn't want to move over that, about it not being enough African-American nurses being trained and certified in these areas. Those are issues, right? But then you have you speaking openly about um, things you're trying to correct, like you're checking, you're checking yourself saying, I see issues, I'm trying to get the people who are higher in protocol than I am to see that down here cause, because they're nurses on the ground. Nurses are on the ground to us because you're constantly dealing with patients every day, right? You, um, and then and you also are the communicators or the quarterbacks to what happens throughout the court the rest of the day as we change shifts. Mm-hmm. Because you may have it. I, from my personal experience, I've had great nurses, and I had a shift change, and I had the nurse from hell.
9: You know what I mean? I'm <laughs> yeah. Like, whoa,
12: I, I, go back to the shift we just thought, right? Yes. So it happens yes. in these settings. But I appreciate your voice and your mm-hmm. and your, um, advocating, because that, I think, has to be uh, looked into as mm-hmm. a deeper
4: dive we can have it. yeah. I apologize have to. Well, I yeah. certainly so we want to um, thank mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Shaw.
15: I apologize for leaving early, but I'm actually getting an acute hypertension <laughs> to <case> <laughs> Talk this balance. afternoon, yeah. um, and I just want to say to my co-panel uh, how articulate and how many a couple ideas are swirling <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> and I appreciate uh, being able to speak with such a passionate group. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it.
9: Yes.
6: Uh Uh,
7: So, so on the other side, I'm not a frontline healthcare worker, and as you can see, I'm not black. Um, And I I just want to say a couple of things that I have learned in the space of, you know, policy advocacy that many of our partners have taught me. One is uh, just one as a white woman being aware of my privilege, like. That was new to me. Like, you know, I'm just like, well, I just think everybody should get along. We all love one another, but yeah, that's not how the world works. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to encourage all of you, people in the room and on the panel, the thing that really needs to happen, and I feel like the momentum is really there, is that the discussion of uh discrimination and implicit bias has to be public right this is like we need to talk about this Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. in everything we do and in every policy we talk about that has to be a piece of it Mm -hmm. and i really feel like like there's like a new awareness happening and i think it's it's really good so thank you for that on on the side of the, the structural piece, right, we do a lot of work uh, with our partners around access, right? Uh, you know, we still, in the context of where we are in this country, we're still fighting over whether or not maternity. Should be a health benefit mm-hmm. in our nation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is mm-hmm. like egregious in 2019 for even having that discussion. And I had that discussion in a local congressional office. I mean, it, it's it's something we have to be aware of and continue to fight to change. But the other um, the other thing I wanted to ask was, you know, uh, Assemblywoman Sumter talked about the Medicaid. Um, coverage being expanded to 12 months. Well, that bill's held. That didn't happen yet. Um, There's a lot of interest, and it costs about $20 million. How much do you, as frontline workers, see that impact? We're very interested in seeing that move. Um, And how important do you see that? in the context of where we are right now? Like, the urgency of that moving uh, is my question. Um, So I'd love to hear what you think about it.
4: Well, do, do uh, um, I think we could probably maybe we should all you know kind of like just speak to that. Imagine. So I'm, I'm supposed to be the moderator. I'm not supposed to be part of the panel, but I'm an and gynecologist <laughs> so I can't 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, help but well, uh, you know, sure. jump in that a little mm-hmm. bit. So that's extremely important because as we look at different health uh, you know issues and as 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 we move uh, uh, you know uh, through the postpartum period, um, we know taking for example uh, diabetes. Okay, so we know that if you're diagnosed with uh, um, you know, diabetes uh, during uh, you know pregnancy. That at uh, um, six to eight weeks postpartum, okay, that you should uh, you know be screened again, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. For diabetes, that you may continue, okay, to need the services with diabetic education and treatment as you move on uh, into the pregnancy. Um, Same thing with cardiomyopathy, which is one of the substantial causes of, uh, uh, you know, of death. Okay, so that can uh, occur up to you know a year postpartum. So people, you know, they really need to, if you're hypertensive, they need to be able to touch base, okay, you know, with your provider, and you need to have the uh, means to enter into the medical system and to yeah. <laughs> you know, to have medical care so that you can have, um, well, you know, further testing, diagnosis, and that, that uh, if there are issues like that, it can be taken care of. So almost everything that happens as you look at on the continuum, what we know, what we used to sign off as, uh, you know, as I just said, at six weeks, okay, that that really was, uh, you know, the, 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 that is not the appropriate interval. Now we know that we must do longer and we must do better. So, so, so that's my two cents. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say it is. It is very. It's very
17: urgent. Yeah. Um, and it's something we have to do. One thing you know about is presumptive eligibility. So you know that women, you know, when they're pregnant, can be expedited into Medicaid. Yeah. But often they wait and we also know that presumptive eligibility will cover people who are even undocumented and we know that there's a certain pot of money that is available July 1 and it's usually finished by October and so we really know that there are needs there that are being unfilled. I say all of that to say it's urgent, we want it and everything, but if it costs 20 million are we ready to put our money where our mouth is, is really the question and so I believe that that is where some of the stall is, Mm -hmm. but I think as Dr. White said, you look at maternal mortality, it's not necessarily during pregnancy or the day after. Mm -hmm. It's 42 days after, and then we even track it for a year Mm -hmm. after. Mm -hmm. And people are still dying within the first year. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you're not covered. Mm -hmm. What hope do you have of any type of survival, really? And so I think that those are the conversations that are ongoing right now. But I say to folks, this is our time. This is our moment. If we're gonna try to fix this, or create an infrastructure to fix this in New Jersey, it's right now. Because there will be another issue five years from now. I've been in the department for 20 years. I can give you 10 good issues that have come and gone. But the issues are still here, right? Pediatric asthma, this and that, and emergency preparedness, and all of that good stuff. Still issues, but the spotlight is not on them the way the spotlight is on this issue right now. So in my mind, I say to my staff, I say to my colleagues, this is our moment. If we let this ship pass by, we shouldn't Complain about it to anybody but ourselves because we allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, coming together on a Saturday like this, having a diverse panel with diverse ideas and solutions from the audience. Yeah. You guys are giving yeah. us solutions. Yeah. You're Absolutely. giving me things that I'm going to think about implementing Monday when I get back to the mm-hmm. office. This is really important, you know, so I can't thank um, the NAACP and all of you enough yes. for just creating this space Absolutely. for us to have a real frank
4: conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, just one note.
11: OK. I was just wondering if I could share this with you. I told you I was a retired nurse. And I wrote this a few years ago, and it's called Motherhood.
6: Uh,
11: and my daughter uh, had that health syndrome, and we were driving to Virginia. I could not remember. I was hearing all the symptoms on the phone, and I could not, for some reason, remember health Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And uh, my husband was watching a football game, and I went into the room and turned off the TV. And he said, Hmm, she's never done that before. So <laughs> going to be wrong. So I said, We're going to Virginia. Mm-hmm. That happened with my daughter, everything worked out, and with my daughter in law, she had uh, a high blood pressure, <clears throat> and we were in Atlantic. She was going to deliver in Summers Point. And I'm in the waiting area on my knees praying, Lord, please, can we just get this baby delivered? And thankfully, everything happened, uh, worked out for both of them. But I wrote this a few years ago, and it's called Motherhood. I just wanted to share it with you. It's a little lighter than everything we've been talking about. <laughs> While well, enjoying a glass of iced tea last summer, uh, as I said, I wrote a few years ago, after picking blackberries from her garden, my friend Donna and I discussed the familiar subject, motherhood. That perfect slash imperfect phenomenon experienced by the majority of females. What is happening with it in today's society? Donna and I worked many years as registered nurses in the maternity maternity unit. While I had been retired for 40 years, she continues her career as a lactation consultant. She remembers the stories about her grandmother delivering twins. A family member or a neighbor lady came to the home and literally took over all the household duties while grandmother only had to concentrate on her babies. Mm -hmm. It was probably a week before she was even allowed downstairs Mm -hmm. and at least six weeks before she went out of the house. Mm -hmm. All of this came to mind when I recently cared for my own daughter after she delivered her second child. We were able to modify Donna's grandmother's care. My daughter came downstairs after lunchtime and went back up at bedtime she was able to stay homebound for a few weeks and out of work for a few months. Thankfully, her mother-in-law and I were able to help her and her family. I remember instructing patients to take it easy when you get home. Let it be four to six weeks before you're back to your normal activity. They were encouraged to let the family members care for them. Perhaps some of them followed these instructions, but I am sure that for others, my instructions were falling on deaf ears. There are so many distractions. The 21st century holds a totally different standard. Too often, I've seen the tiniest newborn babies at the mall. The new mom needs to spend more time with her baby. The outside world should be shut out. She needs more time to be pampered. She should be encouraged to have that heart-to-heart conversation. In this quest to get back to normal, we speed up the healing process. Mm -hmm. It makes that special time appear insignificant. It takes the uterus a full six weeks to get back to its normal size in the pelvis. It's okay to play the role, as I used to tell the patients. It takes the time to just kick back. Have we allowed motherhood to be lowered to some substandard state? Have we given it a lower priority than it should have? It should be regarded with the highest esteem. It should be relished. It must be cherished. It is nothing to be taken lightly. It should not be approached or even considered unless everything is in order. The individual needs to be intact. She needs to be educated, mature, financially stable, married. She should be surrounded by family, friends that can support her both physically and emotionally. There should be nothing else with which she has to concern herself. This new infant should be the all-important force. Entering into this state unprepared or unequipped propels a young person, teenager, into some kind of leap. Any act that would thrust a young person into motherhood should be avoided at all costs. It's not a joking matter. It may look easy. It may look like anyone can do it. Not so. It is filled with all kinds of traps and pitfalls. It should be approached with caution. First of all, it is meant for the strong, weaklings, should never consider it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 24 hours a day, seven days a week is a daunting task. For a young person to stand at the portal of the unknown is frightening. When a young mother would go home with her baby, most of the time the team was too naive to realize the danger she was approaching. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, she had her own mother to guide and buffer her. You can't teach everything she will need to know. A six-week course won't do it. Even a semester in Motherhood 101 will not be enough. Unfortunately, it becomes a job training. Maturity is needed because it is life experience and skills that are drawn upon. That is the very reason motherhood should be delayed until all of the woman's aspirations have been achieved. Can we dissuade this next generation? We can give them all the warnings and reasons to wait. What they really don't want is motherhood. In a scene from the movie, A League of Their Own, Tom Hanks' character says, there's no crying in baseball. Mm -hmm. Well, there is crying in motherhood. Mm -hmm. There are tears of joy at the delivery and baby blues tears a few days later. There will be tears of pride at every future accomplishment. There are tears of sadness, a miscarriage at seven weeks that robs one of motherhood. Then there is the major grief of the perfectly normal stillborn. There are the accidents, a three-year-old in a pool, or a newly licensed 17-year-old. Then there are the tears that say there are no guarantees in motherhood. There's also praying in motherhood, as evidenced by the comic script character, Mama, as she kneels, and I'm sure on her callous knees, and says, Lord, it's me again. Through all the ups and downs, good times and bad times, we wouldn't trade it for anything. There is also redemption in motherhood. It is called grandmotherhood.
4: <laughs> uh, one more question, then we're going to resume with uh, uh, Dr. White's comments. Uh, I
14: want to make one more statement, uh, which is Dr. Shah mentioned earlier that we have, you know, the United States clearly has the resources to get it where people would be know, doctors and medical stuff. So nurses, when they don't have enough staff, they have to triage their care for patients. Hospitals, when there's an emergency, they triage the care for people. The state of New Jersey has to triage the limited tax revenue that it has in order to give its people what they need. But I, I give lectures on economics. And what's different is at the federal level, they create money. So if they have the resources, they can create the money, and it doesn't create cause inflation. But they they pretend that they can't give us health care for all. They pretend that they can't give us free college and so on, even though we have the resources, and they create money. So that's that's just silly. So because they decide not to do that, that puts pressure on the states, and forces states to have to triage, forces states to have to extract more from their citizens, because they can't create money, and they need money from their citizens. So this, this, Uh, energy that we spend trying to pressure the state in trying to give people more of what they need, some of that energy should be spent instead forcing our federal representatives to stop talking economic nonsense and pretending that we have to triage at at the federal level. Because if the federal government gave us what we needed, it would remove pressure from the states, which would remove pressure from the people, and would change everything. So yes, we should be Pushing the state to do what it needs to do to give. But they sh- they would be so much less limited if our federal government pretended, stopped pretending that we had triage our money mm-hmm. when clearly we have more resources to stop the suffering of everyone. Yeah.
4: Dr. Did you want to um, just resume? I think uh, the uh, uh, almost in line with what you're saying in the extension, okay, of uh, you know prenatal care, um, uh, the benefits up uh, to one year postpartum. Did you want, want
1: one of Yeah, some I mean,
16: I, I definitely agree. There's an urgency towards that, but you know, with what you were saying as well. When they looked at it about dollars, it's just not about dollars, because we got more dollars than most of the countries, and we're still doing poorly, but I think conferences like this, and particularly the program that you are involved with, I think it's about where are you putting the resources, really, um, that are going to give you the most bang for your buck. and. Are actually what the the group that you're trying to help what they're asking for and what they need and if they don't know sometimes you don't know what you need okay but if someone could just ask me what my issues are then you could help me figure out what my need is Um, so I think it's not just about approving the dollars but making sure that you really have the right programs for it. You know, um, most of my family's in education. There's more money dumped every which way and special things, but it has to be really for the people you're trying to service. Um, so I think this, I mean, this sounds awesome. You know, I'm involved in another a volunteer organization and they're about supporting doulas in communities with people that look like the people that you're trying to serve. Um, because uh, that is important, and it's, it's, it's not just to say that you look like me. I think for most um, black Americans, and I can't speak for all, just from the history of the country there's a lot of um, misconception, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of mistrust, and that crosses all socioeconomic levels for, for um, black America. Um, with anything in medical care, um, and and that goes across generations up until this generation. So, And there's a lot of racism that's occurred, not just in the medical field. So if you, if you almost have someone that's an advocate of yours in the medical field that can understand you, and, and I like the fact that you say you have to come from the area as well. Mm-hmm. You might, you might listen you might listen and if somebody else in your family listens that's even better yeah uh, and you're absolutely right there's nothing better than to come into a hospital and somebody you're with they say hey, hey. Right. Hi, hi, how you doing? You know, okay I'm in good hands so makes it, there's a, it makes a huge difference you know <laughs> so um, yeah it's it's not just about the money um, it does help there's 22 million, there's probably 50 million. There's probably more than that available, but it's also big on, I, I like that, that I, I'm thankful to be on this panel. I really see a lot of positive things in in this area that are going on that I think, I really truly believe it's gonna make a big impact. And and Jody, I didn't realize you were involved in so much of this. She's a midwife I cherish. I mean, a doula, I'm sorry. A doula I absolutely cherish. I'll just never forget one patient we had, mm-hmm. I even asked. She said, "Oh, I think, I think we tried it all." I said, "You don't have anything else in your bag?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, she never asked me. Yeah. 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 She, you know, you gotta have something else. Did she end the list? Something? <laughs> something? <laughs> you know, she's I and then, yep. by the same token, yep. what I appreciate about uh, Jody is that I had another patient that she was always anxious. Everybody was nervous about seeing her because she'd take up an hour in your office yeah. easily before you could get to the exam. Yeah. And I said, you need a doula. <laughs> because I could see this isn't going to go yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Jody saw her evaluator and she called and she said, I have a special doula for her mm-hmm. that also um, specializes in uh, uh, mental health all, yep. yeah. yeah, and this is going to be perfect because she needs a combination Absolutely. so these two aren't separate <coughs> there are a lot of they're issues not they're not separate yeah. you know I'd just like to res-
14: just a, a very brief response to what you just uh, said which I, no doubts that yeah. to in some extent there is money mm-hmm. and then it's just a matter of making decisions on how to best use it if people understood how the federal economy works, which most of us don't, yeah. I'd be very surprised if more than a very small amount of engineers understood that we could let go of a lot of the nonsense that we focus on and focus, focus more on. directly on making those decisions. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
4: Thank you. And I just wanted one comment you know, about race. Um, I think there's no question of that we all know that racism, you know, uh, you know, exists in our country and exists in our world, okay, um, that, uh, um, that as, as I see it in, in terms of one thing, you know, we change people, obviously, they have to check themselves, they have to know themselves, everybody has bias, and there are people who are racist, okay. So the question becomes, I guess, in, you know, in medicine, is it institutionalized you know, medicine? Is if I went to hospital A, because of the color of my skin or my ethnicity, I was treated in a certain way. And I know that uh, Alyssa certainly knows, OK, because I know you deal with statistics, OK? That these things actually can be proven, OK? That, that the community you know, can, can demand, OK, you know, to know why is the outcome worse for black women? And uh, you know, I, I, all hospitals just have quality committees. They have root, you know, cause analysis. This has to be taken seriously. <laughs> so, in other words, you know, when a, a, you know an African American woman or you know black woman, woman you know, uh, if there is some adverse outcome, then this has to be in a systematic, uh, you know, fashion evaluated. And race has to be, you know, one of the things that has to be looked at. And obviously, it becomes evident by the numbers, okay, yeah. and uh, other things. And uh, so these, these techniques are certainly are used in many of the hospitals, OK? And certainly it's used you know, by the, uh, you know, the health department. I think that we're going to start seeing more and more of this come to the fore. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to respond. I
12: appreciate what you're saying. I just want to respond to that. And I, I see the question before. Um, we have to also unpack that there's just a systemic, um, systemically, we always, Historically, I say historically. Historically, we always used African Americans as catalysts for experiments.
6: Mm-hmm. And we have to be
12: really honest about that in the setting. Mm-hmm. I don't want to play with that. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to fringe mm-hmm. on that. I want to be clear that Black women mm-hmm. have been used as lab rats, mm-hmm. our wounds, our body parts. Black men have been a part of experiments mm-hmm. for years to advance mm-hmm. medicine right so we can take a walk back down that line and remember that there was there were there were no there were there was medicate, there was medication Mm -hmm. at the time it it was not as Mm -hmm. involved as it is now Mm -hmm. but black women were not being offered that medication Mm -hmm. they were being used to see how much pain they can take when they're being operated on openly on tables with a bunch of white men around them, mm-hmm. seeing if they could, if this we can advance medicine on this this person, and it's happened over and over and over again in so, Same thing with black males. Mm-hmm. But since we're talking about black women, um, the fact that we are used, we, our body parts of one individual woman has been harvested for years because she was looked upon as a freak of nature because she did not look like the average black woman or woman in general. So we want to talk about the historical context of how Black women have been brutalized for years and used as um, uh, um, lab rats or test dumps for experiments that now, moving forward, strains strains of our DNA are are, are cures for advancing cancer, you know, cancer su- supporting cancer um, treatment and things like that. So I make that statement to say that it's not really changing. I just want to say that I just want to be honest about that it's not really it's not changed 100% because again if we're looking at how and I'm being honest how African American young women are being pushed to surgery faster than giving the option of being going through a natural childbirth or a vaginal birth it's still the same. Mm-hmm. That wound wellness, the fact that our wounds are being scarred and scar tissue is coming in us, coming in our bodies, and we don't know how, why we cannot have babies, and how come we're getting sterile at an early age, is still based on those same symptoms, that same ideology. How I'm not, I'm not speaking about this staff up here. I'm saying that how some doctors are pushing women to have C-section because they want to go, on, they want to be free for the weekend. 100%. Thank you. So the point I'm making is that 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 conversation has to be put in this space, and it's about the the mentality of how America has always treated black women and black people when it comes down to um, surgery, when it comes down to medicine, things like that, Uh, and I just want to touch on that for a second. Can can
4: can I just expand on that point, so then, how do you suggest that we move past that Mm -hmm. in our community so that history does not become an impediment to our people entering into the medical system and getting the care that they need. I just think it has to
12: be a rule. I think, I know it's not, I don't believe about it can happen right now. But the victories are small things we're doing like this. What are we going to do? post this, to go back into these facilities that we all sit at major spaces or department heads, or we're able to have the conversation? Because when I speak, <laughs> you might not hear it. But when other races speak, you hear it very clear. So how can we take it and interpret it in a way that we are really creating um, change? Right, we're giving the opportunity for people to see that that's not no. We're not we're not going to continue to do this over and over again. And then I don't I, I do want to be clear that if we continue to allow the tables that make a decision to be just men, and I want to be very honest about that, it's never going to give you the results that we actually need because the experience come from a woman. And it has to be that has to be said. It's not about dividing us by sex, age, or anything like that. It's about the truth. I, I would not want someone to make a decision based on what's going on in my hoo-ha down here. And, and I'm asking a man to give me that advice. I think that men do a really good job of knowledge base and, and being able to get content information also from their experiences, but some things change. And women can be able to have those conversations, sitting at those tables, saying, "But did you know that this is the case with that? Did you know the woman at this age and this race and this and with these things going on in her her and her and her lineage, this has happened to her? Those things have to be discussed." So, to answer your question, I don't have the answer, the quick answer, but I do know it starts here in this space, right here, with all of us being able to use our voices to impact the change that we want to see, starting in hospitals, starting in spaces like this, starting where we won't have this dialogue with community people who are another Ransha in another area, a Rancha in Borgans, a Ransha in Maple Shade. Where are those people at that we will not allow. We, we sometimes separate the classes. And I'm being honest about that. We don't want to have that vibrant um, mom who may not be, <laughs> we might call them, she may be a little more colorful than we want. However, she does bring a, a base of expertise to that table that needs to be respected and accepted based off of her living and learning um, process through what she's been going through. Is it what you want? No. Is it out your comfort zone? Absolutely. Is it going to stretch your edges? Absolutely. Are you more um, educated than her by book? Yup. But have you had her experience? Absolutely not. And that makes her the expert assignment. So how do we create those tables where we get past that bias, we get past all all that um, prejudice. We get past a lot of that the spirit of uh, our impressions on what we believe it should be and how a woman should come into a hospital, how a woman should be a mother. How do we unpack that in a way that we're now accepting what we see, accepting what is? Needed? I think that is the valuable conversation in this space to make sure that as we walk away. We we're taking that with us and saying I'm going to take it, I'm going to sprinkle this all across this room mm-hmm. because we're all guilty of mm-hmm. it, right? So yeah, I just wanted to share that with you. Okay. That's I, all I can yeah. make.
8: Uh-huh. Oh, hi. Um, my okay. name is um, I'm actually at work in home care. I do not do OBGYN. However, I had six high-risk pregnancies. I have five kids. so. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an expert right. because I went through some weird stuff and also because I work in home care. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about money, we're talking about $20 million, and that's a lot of money. I'm trying to think about uh, how we can make effective interventions and a lot of that is going to be on data that we collect and also data that we already have. So, I'm not sure what Tammy Murphy's task force is looking at, but do we have, my question is, I don't know if anyone can answer. Yes. Please. Are we looking retroactively at what data we have so that we can really get good a good picture? The other thing is, when someone comes in to deliver Do they get home care? I was lucky I had, for several of my pregnancies, I had one or two postpartum visits. But that was often not the case, and it's not standardized, because if you don't have, say, Medicaid, and like, say, if you have private insurance, which I had for my first three, it's very spotty, what the benefits that you get. So if we could standardize that, and if we have gaps, That's why we need to look at a state program. We also need to make sure the insurance companies are giving data. We need to study this um, because there's a lot of reasons. And there is systemic racism even in healthcare. I was in a room full of nurses. We were in a class and they were saying, oh, we give them rides to appointments, we give them food stamps, and they're still having premies and they're not coming to their appointments. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, well, if you can't find childcare for your other kids, you're gonna have trouble, even if you have a ride. Mm-hmm. Like people just don't understand. So we need that documented. We need it studied, mm-hmm. and that can be done a lot with retroactive data that we already have available. I'm thinking, um, but I don't know. The other thing is epigenetically, like but they and they know that the microaggressions that people receive throughout the year, from throughout all the years from racism, actually affects your DNA and affects your outcomes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that, it infuriates me that more healthcare people don't know that. So, if we can quantify that and they're starting to do a lot of research, we can maybe make a difference. But we've got to, if we have money available, we've got to use it well. We need to reevaluate, we need to look at what data we have, we need to collect it. Um, that's the other thing. I know in Medicare, home care, we have the Oasis, which is like, if you're in ours, it's, it's horrendous. It's literally 100 computer pages. Um, you know, it's a lot of work, but somewhere that data is being analyzed mm-hmm. about people's health. I don't know that we're doing that um, in terms of um, women and babies. I don't know how standardized that is. And I'm so not I can for speak to that.
17: Paperwork. Yeah, I can yeah. speak to that. The state is working on a maternal mortality and morbidity strategic plan, mm-hmm. but it speaks to the establishment of this maternal care quality collaborative. And that is really a data center. There's going to be a maternal data center, which will be a part of it, which will begin to track all of this information by hospital. And so, you know not for public consumption initially, but to really feedback to the hospital so that you really are aware of what your practices are and what your outcomes look like. This is tied into the Perinatal Quality Collaborative, a lot of acronyms, so forgive me, but that is where we we work with the bundles. We work with the AIM bundles and the initiatives and the standardized protocols and training and all of that. So this is a big part of what um, Governor Murphy and First Lady Murphy are doing, really spearheaded by the Department of Health, because you're absolutely right. We need to establish the baseline, set the targets, and really begin to track folks on that. Um, I know there's also legislation that is talking about not paying people for unnecessary c-sections. You know, when you hit people in their pocket, yeah. they pay attention. And so I, I say that to say we're really in a transitional period we're really looking much more closely at the things that we are paying for and really looking at the trends over time. I will also say to Rancha's point, thank you for saying that. We need to hear from the community. You can't make a decision in an office behind a desk, not knowing about what your target population and what your constituents care about, think about, and need. And so I will say with healthy women, healthy families, there was this rush to revitalize and retool our initiatives. And we said stop at the direction of our commissioner. And we did focus groups with community folks. Before we decided if we're going to do a doula or we're doing group prenatal care, whatever we're doing, we said we're not doing anything. We're going to speak to the people. We went statewide, north, central, south. It took a long time. It was last January. We decided to do this in the middle of blizzards. So we had every community forum canceled and rescheduled. It took us a while. It was tough but we really thought it was important to hear from people themselves. Community health workers, moms, people out there in the world trying to hustle and survive. What did we hear? Implicit bias, they don't feel respected when they go to your institutions. They are troubled with mental health issues and the ability to really articulate. They don't even know about all the services. I talked about all these acronyms. They're like, what's that? You know, who's that? Um, They talked about social supports yeah. just what you said there's not the mother or the grandmother nobody's helping me when i get home from the hospital i get home from the hospital with a section i live on the third floor and i have four other kids so how how can i survive and nobody's checking on me they threw me a nice baby shower when before i had the baby but now that the baby is here nobody calling me. I need my laundry done, I need a good meal, I need a nap, and I need somebody to take care of these knuckleheads so that I can focus on the latest addition to the clan. And so those were the real stories we were hearing from people and based on that information we then said what does the evidence tell us that works in these communities, that provides those social supports and will get moms to where they ideally want to be. This is how we decided to invest in doulas, This is how we decided to invest in group prenatal care. We didn't just wait for these things to fall from the sky. They were informed by the constituents, by the people that we were able to mobilize and hear from. And based on what they told us, this is what we did. So this is why it's called a pilot. You know, This is why the things that we've chosen are very intentional. We're doing them in eight cities, driven by the data. Atlantic City, East Orange, Irvington, Patterson, Trenton, Camden, and, I, would, and I always forget. There's two more, but Newark real and, Newark uh, and uh, New Bronx. Brunswick, high need cities. High yes. need mm-hmm. cities. Not by any means exhaustive of where the needs are in New Jersey, but we've started there. Yeah. Now with this Medicaid reimbursement, we can go statewide. Yeah. You know, we will train doulas in other parts of the city, and we'll rely on the NAACP and their mm-hmm. county chapters mm-hmm. to really help us get the word out about these folks.
12: And I just a nice one to add. I'm sorry, I, get, I'm, I'm, I know you. i next. I just want to add on that. What happened? <laughs> (laughs) Um, With the Department of Health, the thing I love about the most is that they did go into the. They wanted to get people who were already doing the work in the community, and I think that just makes such a large difference Mm -hmm. when you really go and get those groups that are really doing the work already, and you don't feel like it's a Mm -hmm. kind of like a a um, organ. Someone who um, looks like what you want, but are not really connected to the community. That's Mm -hmm. we call like it's kind of like having a paid group of doulas to just say, "Oh, we're already doing it." We really want people who are really on the ground. Who if I walk in my community. I might, we might have been launching last night talking about what was going on on uh, uh, housewives, housewives of Hollywood, You know, having that conversation. But again, that's the kind of energy you want to build in your community, because that's what builds that trust. So I just wanted to lay that with you too. So I appreciate the part of that. Yeah. Yes, sir.
18: <laughs> so I just want to say I appreciate the honest conversation that we've been having all day and calling things as they are. So I just want to continue on in that vein. Um, we live in a white male dominated world white male-dominated industries. Um, in order to get anything moved, we have to break through that ceiling. And I'm, I'm always curious to see um, when we think about solutions. Everything we spoke about today is 100% needed. Everything we spoke about. And I, and I love the different collaboration that's gonna come from this meeting. Because I'm the statewide communications chair, my job is to communicate NAACP, but I want to make sure I'm communicating what you guys are doing as well. Mm-hmm. But as we speak speaking about this male, white male, not to be specific, white male-dominated who, sidebar, all the white women in the room we keep voting for these same white dudes. Come on, we gotta stop it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> oh,
0: okay.
18: Thank you. But as we <laughs> no
0: generalizations
8: about, here,
18: <laughs> <idea>. <laughs> Listen, distract the fulls. <laughs> There's right. there is exceptions to distract base. So with that being said, um, as you spoke about yeah. um, how with which organizations um, the white women taught you yeah. had to take a step back. Uh-huh. My question is, I get that approach. Yeah. But a lot of these white dudes can't hear you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we need more yeah. white women who are advocates and yes. allies. Yes. Yeah. So what are our plans to get? And we have a large room full of white women. How do we get yeah. more white women to take on this issue? Because anytime it's an issue regarding women, yeah. they call us. Yeah. But when it's an issue about black women, we have to find them, not excluding ladies in the room. Yeah, of course, of course, but the majority of women yeah. want to enlist black women that is good for women, but leave black women in the cult. Yeah. So how do we get more white allies, advocates, whatever term you want to use, yeah. on these issues? Yeah. So the white men who have the money and the power and the resources can put these things to the forefront. Yeah. Because yeah. anyone who say, like everything in this
12: country right now is about life, about life. Yeah. How can we keep talking about how much we enjoy mm-hmm. life when we're not protecting black women who are losing their lives? Yeah, so I don't, I'm, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll start with it first, and if everyone minds, doesn't mind this room, I'm gonna shift my hat a little bit and put on my community organizer's hat and national organizer's hat. Mm-hmm. A lot of the work I do is based around public education. Camden, mm-hmm. uh, New Jersey is in a public education crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't followed the news, and I'm, I'm gonna say some things here that needs to be heard and said. Um, Camden School District number one pulverized by charterization. The students, the Camden students, are not failing. They've been filled. The community is shifted because you only, you have 77,000 people in the city, you have 26 schools, and now nine of them are under um, corporate tailoring, right? But with that, there's a, there's a new. The current superintendent has currently just said that we're in a $27 million deficit. And we don't know where the deficit came from. So that in order to save those schools, they want to shut down more schools and fire more teachers. This is always the answer in black communities, right? What has happened in Camden? And this is what I'm using the story to kind of open up to where you're. What you said you had an amazing, amazing question. I want to answer that. What has happened in Camden is that we decided to desilo the way that we organize. So when you desilo, you have to build two things. You have to build power and lift up. The black voice of the experience, but you also have to, uh, you have to kind of integrate a uh, multiracial fight. And in that integration, when we're building up the black voice and so we wouldn't shrink, we called on our white allies. And we said, clear, let's just use education as an example. Why is it that in Terry Hill there's no charter schools? Mm. Why is it that in Morristown there's no charter schools? Why is it that public education is, is valued and you have old schools like we have old schools? You have all you have you have alumni. You have old buildings, old buildings that are in some of these um, these uh, communities in Camden, and no one's screaming. Let's go charter and bring in charter schools and bring in a new idea of what uh, progressive education looks like, because it doesn't require. 30,000 black angry moms in Camden, it requires four white women with carriages to say, hell no, this is not happening in my city, because my <laughs> child will go to the same school that his grandfather went to in some public school, right? It requires that. So what happens when you meet a group of progressive white women that are organized in Cherry Hill, Voorhees, they're called the sub- progressive women, Jersey Progressive Women for Change. This is a group that's organizing right now. These women have made a mark in Camden. Showing you how it's happening made a mark in South Jersey to say, we will not allow racial injustice and racial inequity to happen anymore while, we're, while we have an opportunity to vote. So they took on the head. Everyone doesn't want to say this the side of space, there's a political boss in South Jersey named George Norcross. They said we're going for the head. They said we're going to make sure that in everything that happens in Camden and anywhere in South Jersey, we're clearly stating the fact that this person has been using his bias his racism and his tactics of money to Camden under his total control. So what's happening? We, Camden organizers, created a group called Camden We Choose. It consists of all African American grassroots organizations, but we also have included our, our, our white brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So when we stand in the fight about education in Camden, I don't have to say at a board meeting over in Cherry Hill, this is not happening because this white woman is standing right here with me saying, and I live in Cherry Hill, and it's not happening. And I want to know why it's happening here. And how the hell do your you run these board meetings like this? I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to call the governor. I'm going to do this. I love the way that white women organize because They are a clear one. I'm going to call the governor. I'm going to call who's in charge. I'm going to use my privilege to do what I need to do. That's the same way it's happening voting right now. White women are standing up. And I hope that I'm saying this in love as a family. They're standing up and using their voice no more will we be squashed be, be settled under a white man's world and say that we don't have power to say we need to say to support women across the board. Why are women suffering? And we have we have an ability to use our voice and our power to make sure that all of us receive the same exact thing. Right. And in the middle of there, there's some lucky water because it does come with us, have to kind of like check on privileges and make sure that we're clear on, don't cross that line, but it is a growth happening. Mm-hmm. And I want to be honest about that. I'm talking about real time happening right now. Mm-hmm. If you look back at the Economic Development Authority, I'm pretty sure very much reading the papers is funky and can be. Mm-hmm. So Governor, Governor Murphy is doing an amazing job. At least we won't have to have a sidebar in a second mm-hmm. about what's going on in Camden's um, uh, uh, on, 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 on the tax incentives that's been given out to all of George Norcross's cronies. Y'all be keeping up on this? Yes. So all millions of dollars money has to just given away. Like you get, you get a building, you get a building, you get a building, but it doesn't come back to its residents. Right? We suffer, We okay, time is coming. So the point I'm saying, the point I'm making is that with that happening. If you look at the EDA last meeting, Sue Altman, who's in leadership of uh, Working Families of New Jersey, held, she kind of took over the space at the board meeting and as a white woman said, we're gonna have all the community speak. In that room was people from all over New Jersey, Sue used her ability to say, I have the mic, so I want to make sure that Camden voice is heard because we're talking about Camden. And she gave space to the people from Camden to speak. And when that shifted and it happened in that space, it changed the entire room, because now we don't have just people feeling sorry for Camden. We have the people who are directly impacted speaking. So I just want to say to your point that it starts with us de-siloing and being, creating coalitions where we can come together on one thing that we know we can win. The small victories is how we build it. And when we're doing that de-siloing and creating multiracial um, coalitions, that's how we get to build what you're asking for. But we have to all be willing to stand. What are you willing to sacrifice in your comfort to make sure that other races, especially black races, will be able to come up to? Time core.
4: Yeah, but you, you know, I I, I I just really really like your summation, and, and I think that maybe this might be a good point to end actually. And um, you know, we just really want to you know absolutely thank this you know fabulous. Uh, you know, and, uh, we want to thank you, you know, your absolutely fabulous audience. And uh, um, one thing that you could do, okay, is that a lot of people think of the NACP, they think of it, oh, that's a black organization. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if people know back to the original origins of the NACP, it actually was started as an integrated organization. And so if you feel that you would know, like to see more things in this community, or you feel that this was value to you, um, you know, consider becoming uh, you know, a member, actually, of the NAACP. So we thank you again, and we certainly thank the. Uh, The Burlington chapter
0: for putting together this. I think we accomplished our mission. We're going to go out armed with more than what you came in with. Thank you so much to this dynamic panel, panel of women, and Dr. Shaw. Thank you to our audience. Thank you to Virtua, Pam Gallas, We Couldn't Do It Without You, Citizens Media, Marcus Sibley, our Communications Chair, Uh, certainly the President of the Southern Jersey, Southern Berlin, too, County. This is my daughter, I can't call her, (laughs) (laughs) NAACP, And knows that today made a big difference. It made a difference, I think, for a lot of people. Um, Dr. Shaw, I'm a big fan of his because that's my grandchild. Um, I had a new grandchild on the 4th. Why is that important? Congratulations. Within 22 hours, we had seven nurses. Wow. Mom was there, that would be me, Mm -hmm. through all of the nurses. and we had many conversations. Mm
6: -hmm.
0: We had the best nurse at the end. Um, And when I stayed down, she was in D.C., her hand started to swell, and I am like, well, you not really need to call the doctor. You're gonna do that. And you know, the doctor, they called back, and I heard the whole conversation, um, and I was satisfied. She said, of course, if you want to see and I'll be in the office of about it if you want to see <laughs> So we went together. So because we went together, I was able to come up here and be a part of this, because if you hadn't come to see the doctor, I wouldn't be up here today because of that. I'm her
6: daughter.
0: And we have to advocate for our children. And I have two daughters, and now I have two granddaughters to worry about. And so it is everybody's issue because they are tomorrow.
17: They are tomorrow. And so
0: what we've done here today, I think everybody in this room needs to be applauded. And I appreciate each and every one of you. you. Thank you.
2: Well, I'd like to thank my doula. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask anybody, or uh, if you ever hear my mom talk about my pregnancy, you don't know who carried my daughter.
14: <laughs> <laughs> she carried yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, her. It was tough watching
2: you go do through this, and uh, I mean, I don't know. she got from Atlantic City to uh, virtual war keys uh, before. Before my fiance can get here, <laughs> and um, so you know, thank you to my doula. Um, as you can see, this is a this is a family business. Um, advocacy is in our blood. Being strong women is in our blood. Um, it's generational, and what we want to do is continue to build strong women around Burlington County, Camden County, uh, Mercer County, across the state of New Jersey. Uh, I want to thank this panel. I mean you guys brought it like you definitely <laughs> brought it. Yeah, we know we you can't have a sexy conversation to get business done. That's right. <laughs> sexy falls under recreation for most. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, <laughs> And so you can't have this sexy conversation and expect to see real change, okay? And um, I think that everybody in here is going to walk out empowered. I think we have a whole new group, a new crop of activists and advocates. Um, This conversation is not over. I would say to be continued. Um, Let's work together to build and save lives. Um, thank you for taking the time on the first real spring day of the year (laughs) and still coming. Um, and uh, listen, like I said, this is, this is about all of us. Um, if we weren't for mothers, there wouldn't be children. If there weren't children, there'd be no future. No one can be overlooked. Um, before I close, I definitely want to acknowledge that we have another NAACP president in the room. That would be Mr. Kevin Barfield from Camden County.
18: I um, appreciate um, strong representative here, um, Ms. Dickinson, again, just to piggyback on what she just said in reference to the help um, of the coalition. Mm-hmm. That's helping us accomplish things in Camden. Yeah. Um, it definitely takes all of us. And I can appreciate that. I'm sorry I missed it because you know the prior events, but yeah. I'm glad I'm here. And we definitely want to take this back to our community. That's right. That's definitely, um, our local right. chapter will definitely be supporting this initiative. Absolutely. And I look forward to meeting y'all again in the future. Thank you. So um, just a couple other
2: quick things. Um, before we close, i uh, let Susan give a quick announcement out about a very important event that I was going to make for her with <laughs> my flyer at Lula.
13: Thanks. So, please stand and make it. Thank you. I am so um, honored to be able to announce that, uh, as all of you know, of course, um, 1963, uh, you're all aware of the church bombing that killed uh, poor little girl. Yep. And uh, as some of you may know, uh, there's a fifth little girl who survived uh, Sarah Collins Rudolph, and we're so humbled that she's coming to Atlanta County on Monday, May 28th. She'll be speaking at Mount Zion Baptist Church at wow. 6 o'clock and uh sponsored by uh, the NAACP, Mainland and Atlantic City chapters, as well as the African American History Museum in Atlantic City and uh, the League of South Jersey. So we really hope you'll uh, get the word out and their flyers on the back as well. If you come to my Facebook page or Oh, it's free. No. <laughs> Thank you so much. We have to see all
17: there. Is it the 27th or the 28th? The 20th. Tuesday, the 28th. Tuesday, the 28th. Oh, sorry. We said Monday. Oh, sorry. Okay. sorry. Tuesday, the okay. Thank you. Okay. 6
13: o'clock.
2: Thank
17: you. Gotcha. Thank you
2: all right so we're prepared to close out again thank you pam pam is like my new best bud here we talk all <laughs> hours during like, hey that's what's going right. on let's, let's right. check in on this that's and that's important because like i said in my opening statement pam definitely showed a vested interest in this program not uh, what do you want to do, let's see how you can use our space, you know, there was a there was a concern, there was a heart for why we're here today, and so I know that I can say with great confidence um, between working with Pam and the care I actually received through Virtua and Dr. Shah and um, even I attend the women's primary care here. Um, this we will be doing more of this. So we just this is just scratching the surface, and 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 thanks to Roncha, we really got a little deeper than surface. Was, but, but Roncha wanted to get in the weeds. So, so anyway, I just had to say, you know, you know, we'd love for anybody in here to become a member. We have membership applications in the back. We are um, also this is a shameless thing. But it's a proud thing to say. In okay. 2018, Southern Burlington County was your branch of the year for the state of New Jersey. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. to branch of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, memberships are in the back,
5: um, and we look forward to having everybody.
4: And I, I just said one thing. So, Krista, you opened up. Um, you told us, even though you were quite ill, that you had, you know, a great birth story. So, I want you to tell us, what's the best delivery that you attended? We need to close out on a good birth story. Yes. Yeah. Oh,
12: uh, oh, best delivery. Um, I did a home birth. Oh. I have to tell the story. Oh. <laughs> so. Jody, I'm not gonna cry, I'm not gonna I'm <laughs> So I did a home birth and um, it was one of it was one of my former my husband's a school teacher and it was one of his students who now, you know, moved on and she's um, a um, She's in the medical field and she was like, she told me, Dr. Ms. Ranship, when I have a baby, you're gonna be my daughter. And I'm like, sure, we got plenty of time. And she called, she said, it's happening. So she said, but I wanna have a home birth. And I was like, okay, my first experience. All my experiences have been in the hospital. I wanna say that my client base is multiracial. So, um, African American woman at home, had, young mother had this home birth and she had a midwife. This midwife was amazing. Asasia Muhammad from Philadelphia, the people's midwife, she's amazing. So, uh, we were at her home. Her husband was there. It was music playing all over the house, jazz, and the, they had their own vibe. And she was just in her, she was just completely, you know, in her natural element. Had a pool in one room, and she was between pool and room, and like, you know, doing her own thing. And we got there uh, to the point where she was like at the edge, like you know, the edge is like seven, mm-hmm. eight. Mm-hmm. I want to give up. I can't right. take it no more. And it was hours. Like the sun, it was nighttime. Then it was like, hello, son. That's how we are. Like, that's the always saying, I'm greeting the sun. I know the sun is coming soon. So uh, she got she got to the pool, and we were steady going back and forth, like, okay, you, how are you feeling? Your temperament was like up and down. She was like, I can I can't, I can't, I can She was resting in between, and we finally got to the pool. Oh my gosh. And it was my first full birth, and I'm standing. Imagine the pool being a circle. It's warm water inside the pool. Her husband is near her on the side. All the midwife staff is inside there, and I'm the doula in front of her. So the vision is she's on all fours, and you can see clearly in the water the baby's head. And she's like, I, I don't know if I can do it. And the water was soothing her, and we had you know, a lot of, it was just a very natural birth. And she looked at me, and she looked at her husband, and she said, I've got to poop. We said, here it comes, baby head came down and in the water you're looking at it and you're like, is that the head or is that something else? (laughs) Baby head shot down, she uh, did her final pushes on all fours and baby came out and it was like a big vacuum of like life. And they had it where no one could speak until they wanted baby to hear only mom and dad's voice first. Oh, priceless. I I'm getting the chills telling the story again. And dad and mom said, um, welcome to the world, baby. Music played after that. I'm not making this up. And I was through tears just flowing Stop. It was the most beautiful experience I ever I had ever encountered for a birth and a birthing experience. And at home, she just um captured that moment. and everything that she wanted and needed and was necessary was there. Her mom was in the room, her mother-in-law was in the room, her husband was there, her midwife, I was there. And I always say as a doula, we are chosen by the Creator, by God, to be in that space because that's not given to everybody. That's not something you can just say, I'm going to a birth. No. That's not your doulas. Art. That is a spiritual space. So when baby was delivered, straight skin to mom. It was just amazing, and then baby is amazingly huge now. <laughs> the little boy, he is amazing. And every, every time you have a birth with a mother, you have a birthday, a new child, you have a birthday with. So I get it's also his birthday. You get those conversations, but that was the most beautiful experience I think I've ever had, and I think that was the shift for me, honestly. When I said that women deserve to have this experience. That was my shift. That was that right there when I said, if I saw something that beautiful at home, why how can we capture that in a hospital? How could everyone may not be able to have a natural birth in a tub, a pool, but how can we capture that moment where mom feels as though, I've got this in that space. And that's my beautiful birth story. Oh my god.
2: Well, thank you again, Citizen Media, because, you know, thanks to you, people who were able to partake in this who weren't able to be with us today. Um, and I'm sure they probably enjoyed every minute minute just as we did. So with that being said, thank you. Thank you to our moderator, Dr. Banks. Yay! And uh, again, panelists, thank you for, like I said, there was never a, a second guest when we made the ask, so thank you again, and we hope to see you all in the very near future. Enjoy this Saturday. Thank you Thank
6: you very much
4: and the state to you